Summer driving is here, and so are the red-hot deals on the best tire brands at Dobbs. Money saver June deals on new sets of Goodyear, Cooper, Continental, Michelin, and Pirelli tires. Click on GoToDobbs.com to find your next set of tires today. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. To me, the way David Perron just continues to get better, you know, later in his career, and that's not to say he wasn't uh, good earlier, uh, to me, extend him in two years, to me, would make a ton of sense. That was Jeremy Rutherford on. Am I on? Okay, there we go. That was Jeremy Rutherford on with us. Is this is this thing on? About six Wrong microphone. Ago. Wrong microphone. <laughs> Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Just some technical difficulties to start fine. things this off. Is they never heard it. hit the wrong button. Tanner's only been our producer for, what, a, a full year at this point? Almost a calendar year? You know what? What's worse for radio? Having the wrong mic on but still having audio or putting a manual in and forgetting to take it out and then having dead air? Our audience doesn't know what that means, but... Yeah, and I don't think that ever happened. Yeah, I'm no. just I'm just asking the scenario. 101 ESPN was definitely on the air after our show 100% yesterday. 100% it was. All right, so that was Jeremy Rutherford talking about David Perron. Perron expected to be back in the lineup for the Blues tonight. They are expected to be back, back in action against the Oilers, a game that you will hear right here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN with pregame coverage beginning at 6.30. Alex, I think it is officially time to start talking about the David Perron contract extension again. Jeremy Rutherford wrote about this yesterday over in The Athletic. He wrote, quote, it is believed that there's been some interest shown in bringing bringing back David Perron. But according to... Babe Babe Perron. It's his babe. But according to sources... There have been no conversations between those sides for, quote, several months. This is interesting to me, Alex, because in my mind, I thought it was just a fait accompli. Like, this is going to happen. David Perron is going to be extended here in St. Louis, and they'll figure out the contract whenever it's necessary. And your mind, is this a done deal? And maybe secondarily, how much pressure is there on Army from the fan base to make sure that David Perron remains here in St. Louis? I, I don't think it's a done deal. I, I really don't. And unfortunately, look, I, I love David Perron. And, and I mean, he's been a heart and soul player for this Blues team for quite some time. Um, and I mean, the guy's only signed a contract with St. Louis. But I don't know if it's a foregone conclusion that he's a blue after this season. And a lot of this is because of the offseason moves that Doug Armstrong did and bringing in Pavel Buchnevich and Brandon Saad. Both are 26 and 29 years old, four and eight years younger than David Perron. And then you have with the emergence of Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas turning into top six players. And don't give me any flack for this, but now with Logan Brown looking like an everyday player for this Blues team, you got a lot of guys from top nine 
and not enough spaces. You got a lot of mouths to feed, but not enough food right now. I'm willing to get rid of Brown. <laughs> enough out of you. And, and so this is where it comes down to. I don't think Doug Armstrong's saying, yeah, we're done with David Perron. I think it's going to come down to contract. It's going to come down to how much money you want. How long do you want to be here? Because I can see Doug Armstrong going to David Perron's side and saying, look, we love you. We want you to be here in St. Louis, but you're going to have to come down from this $4 million per year. And I don't know if we're going to be able to give you a four-year deal. And to your question about the fan base putting pressure on Doug Armstrong, I think there will be some pressure, but I... I mean, do any of us doubt what Doug Armstrong does anymore with this team? I think he's Teflon Don. I think he can do no wrong at this point, because if you're willing to let the first captain who won a Stanley Cup walk, I mean, you can do anything, especially if that move ends up working out for the Blues. If they end up being able to overcome that, and Justin Falk has been a very good player for the Blues, even if not what Alex Petrangelo was. Petro's numbers, I'm not going to pretend like I'm watching him every night, but his numbers have not been in Vegas what they were here in St. Louis. You mentioned what the contract's going to look like. Here's what Jamie Rivers earlier in the summer projected what a contract could look like for the Blues and David Perron. Honestly, I think if you went three three years and you tried to get the AAV down to like three minute in some change, so you go three years, $10 million. That's what I would say. Here's three years, $10 million, just a little bump above $3 million. We're lowering our costs from $4 million on the salary cap down to whatever the spare change is, $3 million and change. But at the same time, you're adding a guy to your roster that – you know darn well you'd pay three million bucks for this guy. You'd pay three million, but like that's a that's a hell of a deal, hell of a deal, especially for what he has provided this Blues team. Power play threat, five on five threat, overtime, probably one of the best overtime players for this Blues team, maybe in franchise history. Could be. And if he finishes his career with St. Louis, I think he's going to be tops lists in a lot of categories for this team. But let me ask you guys this, because in two years from now, you're not only looking to pay Ryan O'Reilly. I mean, if I were to give you the option, you get to keep O'Reilly or Perron. Who are you wanting to keep? I don't think it'll be that conversation. I think it's more O'Reilly versus Robert Thomas, those two guys. But I understand what you're saying. You got a, you got a finite amount of money. I mean, if you're telling me I can keep one of those two, I'm definitely keeping O'Reilly. The problem is, and I think this is what you're going to get at, Alex, you've got O'Reilly, Cairo, Thomas, Barbashev, and Sonny all coming off of the books after the 2022-2023 season. Yep. That's a lot of contracts that you're going to have to rework at that time. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong here, Alex. I do think a lot of this comes down to just looking at the 2022 season. So next year, I think a lot of this comes down to the decision with Vladimir Tarasenko. 100%. If Vladdy is here next year, if they if they keep him in St. Louis throughout the remainder of his contract, I don't think you can bring back David Perron. I I almost think it is a one-for-one, not in terms of the salary slot, but the ability to retain Perron is tied to the ability to trade Vladimir Tarasenko because of how much Vladi is making. If you decide to trade him, then it becomes a question of, did you get a guy like Matthew Kachuk for him that you're going to have to essentially swap out one-for-one salary slot-wise, or are you getting younger players that are going to be more in that $2 to $3 million range? If that is the case, okay, maybe you can keep um, David Perron long-term. I, I, there are so many other things that have to be done before this David Perron contract extension would be finished. I'm losing a little bit of belief that it is officially going to get done. Yeah, well, and especially hearing that they haven't talked for a few months, like uh, some players just don't want to negotiate in season, and I don't know if that's David Perron. 
Um, but it, it makes you wonder. It's like, okay, if these guys aren't talking right now, then they're probably saying, look, we'll rehash this out in the offseason. And anytime you rehash things out in terms of extension in the offseason, it's rare that that gets done. I mean, let's look at past history for the Blues. Alex Petrangelo, David Backus. When it goes Jayden into the off, Jaden Schwartz, when it goes into the offseason as an unrestricted free agent, it's rare that those things get rehashed. Who was the guy? I, I very well may be forgetting somebody that I should remember here. Who was the guy that did not sign an extension early that ended up re-signing with the Blues once they hit unrestricted free agency. Has that happened recently? I don't think so. Like Shin got a deal done early. Vladdy was signed early. I don't um, think anybody on this Kairou team. and Thomas were restricted free agents, as were Sonny and Barbie. I guess you could Tyler look at Bozak, but that's a, that's at a lower level. Yeah, no, Jordan. But he Bennington was definitely that guy. Season two. I don't think there is one, to be honest with you. Now, you go in past history. There's been plenty of guys. But recency, I mean, again, David Backus, you know, Troy Brower, who was an unrestricted free agent, and they let him walk. David Perron, who is a unrestricted free agent, and they let him walk. There have been a lot of occasions where, and Doug Armstrong's notorious for this. He has the number in mind, and if you're not going to accept it, well, then we'll find something else. And for me, and I understand you're right, the one-for-one with Vladdy's money but even with Vladdy's money off of the book, I mean, I, I, honestly, if Kyrou and Thomas continue this pace the rest of this season and next season, I mean, you're looking at possibly an extra two, three million per year on their contract. So that's four, six million dollars per year total. And then for Barbashev, Barbashev might be looking at four million dollars. Barbashev might be looking at David Perron's contract. So Perron's money and Tarasenko's money, that's going to get spread pretty, pretty easily. And again, it sure seems like your top nine's filled right now with the players that you have in place. Yeah, the thing for me with the David Perron extension is that it almost feels like, and I know he's left, what, twice now because you traded him and then he was exposed in the expansion draft. And I think we've talked about this. He's currently that one guy you look at as that future Blues alumni. I, I feel like, and I know that I'm taking more of the emotional side of this, and I know you can't do this in sports, but I feel like if I can lock up David Perron for that deal that Jamie said, three for ten, I would do that, and then I'll sort it out from there because he's one of those uh, iconic franchise players that you could have with this Blues organization. I saw a text on the text line that said, you know, imagine if he hadn't left St. Louis, he'd be putting up franchise numbers. I I mean, he's just one of those guys. I mean, he's kind of your Barrett Jackman, and I know Barrett Jackman left for a year and was in Nashville, but that's kind of how I view David Perron. He's kind of that guy that should be the staple of the St. Louis Blues moving forward for the next couple of years until he's ready to put it up. And that way he can be that guy that kind of sticks around town. I think he'll come to town when he retires either way. And then he becomes that Blues kind of alumni face that you have here in St. Louis, David Perron. If Perron put up the same numbers with St. Louis that he put up elsewhere, he would currently rank fifth all-time in goals. He has 249 in his career. If you're looking at points, he would be... Make sure I'm right on this. He has 626 points so far in his career. He'd be very close to third all-time in Blues history in points. I mean, he's... He'd be top five objectively in just about every number. It's mostly because one and two are like Bernie and yeah. Brett Hall, and then everyone else is like, oh, yeah, we could top that. I, I mean, it's it's pretty remarkable where he would be on the list for the Blues. I do think I would get it done. If you can do the three years, $10 million, but I, I also said for the Petro deal, I would have done that. So I, I just I think I value these guys a little differently, clearly, than what Doug Armstrong does. 
And the other thing, and, and Tanner, we were talking about this a little bit in the office. You do have some potential internal replacements for David Perron. I mean, you look at that top line with Ryan O'Reilly. I don't know specifically who it would become, but Pavel Buchnevich, it was said before he got here, he's more comfortable on the right side. So maybe he would be the guy that you would put on that top line. Uh, you could go Brandon Saad on the left side, which is something they're trying right now. Maybe that becomes the pairing. It's not a right winger with O'Reilly, but maybe it is a left winger with him. And by the way, maybe O'Reilly becomes your number two center when Robert Thomas, two, three years from now, is the top guy potentially well, with think about this. I mean, Jordan Cairo. Ivan Barbashev's 26 years old, and he's finally looking like a, a, a 25 goal per, per season player. That's a top left winger for you. That's, that's a second line left winger. That's the guy that Tanner brought up in the office as who's who is. If you were to say this guy two years from now is the internal replacement for David Perron. Who do you think is the most likely guy to be that? And I'm talking about David Perron two years from now, not the guy that they had the last few years, but David Perron two years from now would be a 34, 35 year old player, maybe second or third line right winger at that point in time. Probably. Who would be the internal replacement for that player in your mind? It would be Ivan Barbashev, and to me, it would be Brandon Saad. I mean, Brandon Saad is a younger David Perron with a little bit more defensive upside. Like, like that's that's essentially, to me, that's essentially why you went out there and signed Brandon Saad, because you needed another guy who can be a top winger for you. I, I mean, let's do this really quick. Two years from now, your top three centers are Ryan O'Reilly, Robert Thomas, and Braden Shen, Correct. Yep. And, and I would throw in, you know, you have the possibility with Ivan Barbashev, depending on what happens with Logan Sonny. Brown, you have that as well. And Oscar Sundquist, your top left wingers in the next three years, you're going to have Brandon Saad. You're probably going to have an Ivan Barbashev. And then you can throw in an Oscar Sundquist. You could throw in somebody on the younger side of the scale with this. Jake Neighbors, guys, let's not forget Jake Neighbors, who basically made yeah. this team. And assist in the World Juniors yesterday, I believe. Oh, well, give him the give him a Hall of Fame label right now. All right. <laughs> your and top your right, right wingers, wingers. Pavel Buchnevich, if Tarasenko's not here, which I think we all can agree with, Jordan Cairo, and then insert a right winger here. Ivan Barbashev, Oscar Sundquist, Jake Matthew Neighbors. Kuchuk. Matthew Kuchuk plays the left oh, side, wait, but that's fine as well. Like that? Well, he can play the right. There's just, We've seen Buchnevich play the left side this true. year. He, he can do whatever right he wants. Winger, he can do so, whatever you know. he wants. In my opinion, I love David Perron, but I think David Perron not re-signing gives you the flexibility to to take that next step. And I don't think David Perron's blocking this team. I just think when you're going contract extensions, I'm looking at the money that's in place and guys are going to need extensions that I feel like are going to have a bigger impact moving forward. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson and I'm Brandon Kylie. It is BK and Ferrario 10 to one o'clock today coming up at one o'clock. We will have the pinstripe bowl for you. So a shortened edition of BK and Ferrario and or those normal teams. sized in. edition. Virginia Tech's in it, I know. I think. Did you just make? Did he mumble that last team? Virginia Tech is in it. I, I saw don't they're know using who they're the, playing. I, the only reason I know that is I saw on Twitter they have the Yankee symbol on their helmet today. Ryder knows who they're playing. No, he doesn't. But he's, he's not, not listening, listening to, to us, us today. <laughs> I don't know who's in it other than Virginia Tech. But it's going to be a great game that you should tune Maryland. into. Maryland right here on 101 ESPN. They've got a linebacker that just entered the transfer portal. Apparently, Mizzou offered him the other day. Oh, tune in. So tune into that to watch a linebacker-less Maryland team coming up at 1 o'clock. 
It is 1019. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. In 15 minutes, we've been talking a lot about the Zips projections from fan graphs over the last few days. Dan Zimborski is actually the one that invented the Zips projection. He'll join us to talk about what he thinks the Cardinals need coming up at 1030. But next, yesterday was a sad day in the sport of football. John Madden passed away at the age of 85. He's legitimately one of the most influential football people of all time. We'll tell you our lasting memories of him coming up next on 101 ESPN. Giving you the picture, the real big St. Louis sports picture. It's BK and Ferrario, live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. When you mention a football name, you automatically think of Vince Lombardi. And then you automatically think of John Madden. And, and John Madden, uh, the evaluation process is spread over, like you said, three careers, football, broadcasting, and video games. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. That was Dick Vermeil earlier today on with Carriker and Smallman talking about his late friend, John Madden, who passed away at the age of 85. This was announced yesterday. Alex Madden was somebody that I didn't get to appreciate uh, as much as I wish that I would have because his prime was in the years when I was like two, three, four, five years old. So I got to see the back end of John Madden's football analysis career. When I started really watching football was like the early 2000s. Really one of the first Super Bowls that I remember watching was the Rams Super Bowl when they were playing against the Patriots. And we all know how that ended. But that was when I first really started to appreciate John Madden. And he was a significant piece, not just for me, but I would imagine for a good majority of our audience in learning the game of football. That's that's the thing that always stuck out to me about Madden was his ability to teach. Yes, of course, he was this gregarious personality who you just wanted to listen to and spend time with for three hours every Sunday night or Sunday mid-afternoon, whatever it was that he was on with his game that week. But he was also a great teacher, and that's what made him a great coach. And depending on what generation you are, how old you are, you may remember him as the Super Bowl winning coach and one of the greatest, most winning coaches in the history of the sport with the Raiders. Or you may remember him as probably almost inarguably the best color commentator in the history of football. Or maybe you just remember him like Tanner as the guy whose name and face used to be on a video game. Were you even alive and play the video games when his face was on the video games? No, No. that was in the 90s. I was going to say 99 was the last year he was on it. The first one I can remember of the Madden games that I remember playing. Was it Michael Vick? No, it was. I think McNabb was the guy on the cover. That's like 05. I think that was like like 07, yeah. Yeah. That's the first one I really remember. Wow. I mean, John Madden is a bigger-than-life personality. His persona was as big as the man that he was in the game of football. The guy hosted SNL. He was doing commercials for Rent-A-Center. Like, I remember his Rent-A-Center commercials as much as I do some of the stuff that he was doing on, on, on football games. Like, he's... He's just such a huge piece of what football was. So I 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. If you guys want to share some of your favorite uh, John Madden memories, whether it be uh, as a commentator or as a coach or as the football game that we all grew up playing in this room, and I would imagine a vast majority of you did. Alex, what are your lasting memories of Madden? So a couple of things with this. Uh, first of all, I mean, I, I started to get into football probably the 99 season. Like that was when I really started to pay close attention to it with my dad. 
and that's where I started listening to 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 Madden, and that's of course kind of where you're coming from from BK with with uh, the early 2000s of John Madden. But I mean, for me, he was one of the most entertaining guys on television sports broadcasting. Absolutely. Like, like there's certain guys you listen to for how great they are at the game, and then there's other people that you listen to for how entertaining they are. And that was John Madden. John Madden was kind of both of those guys for me. But it's funny because. My memories of John Madden aren't from football. It's from entertainment, SNL. That's where I remember John Madden. The video games. I mean, I bought my first Madden game probably in 97. I think I got it for a birthday and played it. But from there, think of the movies he's been a part of. The two movies that come to mind, and I told you in this the, during the break, Little Giants, yep. where he comes off of the team bus and he's playing with, or he's, he's teaches, um, he teaches what's his face the, the annexation of Puerto Rico. Annexation of Puerto Rico, and then the other movie is the replacements, where he and Pat Summerall <laughs> yeah. and the huddle, and, and the the guy throws up in the middle of the huddle, and they move. That's where I remember John Madden, and that's where you know you're impactful in the sport where you can touch both angles. Because I was thinking about this. I was listening on my drive-in to Carriker and Smallman talking about how influential he was. This dude won 75% of his games as a coach. Best winning percentage of any coach to coach 100 games in NFL history. Think about that. Like, he has 33 losses in his NFL career. Like, that's insane to talk about. But I know him as, as a coach, as a broadcaster. I asked my wife last night if she knew who John Madden was, and she's like, yeah, the video game guy? He's that's, one of the that's what Kara, we were watching the documentary over the weekend, yeah. and uh, Kara said the same thing. She's like, John Madden, isn't that the guy from the video game? I was like, yeah, he was also like the greatest uh, football announcer exactly. ever. <laughs> but yes. There's certain people that I can ask non-sports fans, like I can ask my wife, I can ask my mother-in-law, I can ask my mom, and they'll be like, I don't know who that is. But then you go to somebody like that, and they're like, oh yeah, I know who that is. That's John Madden. That is the most impact that I think when you can when you can ask or you can touch aspects of life like that. I mean, what a career. And he was not only just having the impact that way, too. I mean, he's having the impact of how we view the game as well. I was telling BK this in the office. There's a great article on ESPN.com just telling stories of John Madden. And apparently, like, the, you hear Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, they'll say, well, we talked to the offensive coordinator uh, yesterday before the game. That didn't, that wasn't a thing until John Madden was a color commentator. He said, hey, I want to go watch him practice. Well, we don't go to practice. Well, I got to talk about him for three hours. I'm going to go to practice. Exactly. And that's what started the production meeting. He drew the first downline that you see on a broadcast. John Madden came up with that. He was drawing a play in preparation. The and, he, and he said, well, why don't we just put the first downline here throughout the game? Fox ran with that. The Madden game originally... They wanted to be seven on seven. He said, we're not going to release a football game seven on seven. Well, it's hard to fit 22 guys on a screen. Well, we'll take our time and figure it out. Two years later, that's when the game gets released. I mean, just incredible. the impact that he had on the game of football is incredible. I mean, it's it's a funny thing to say, but when you think about it, I, I do think it's true. The Madden football game was such a significant piece of spreading like football knowledge for a lot of us. Like This is so weird, but the way that football is played today is significantly impacted by all of us playing Madden whenever we were kids because we are now, Alex, certainly for you and me, we are the age of a lot of coaches or a lot of the guys that are assistant coaches, certainly in the NFL. And a lot of them, I have to imagine, spent a lot of time playing Madden, and you know what they were doing? They were going for two, and they were not punting on fourth down. Hell yeah, they were <laughs> blitzing 24-7. Forget the analytics oh push. God, video games ruined the game of football. <laughs> video games were a significant part, and more specifically, the video game. The only NFL video game was Madden. And so it, 
every piece of what we watch, what we consume with football today, it was touched by John Madden. He was the guy. The other thing that I think is so unique about him is anything he did, he was the best at. Alec, you talked about it when he was when he was a coach with the Raiders, won a Super Bowl, was mm-hmm. the winningest coach that we've ever seen in terms of his winning percentage. And you know what he did? It's like, eh, I think I'm done. I'm going to go into the broadcast booth now. He became the best at that. When anybody wanted to have some sort of gravitas to to have their their channel, their network be the leading NFL cha- uh, network, they got John Madden. I was listening to a podcast last night about Madden and one of the guys talked about his free agency back in I think it was 1993 or 94. I can't remember the specific year, but one of the networks offered him a train to be able to take him to games. They offered him a train <laughs> like instead of him going around on his bus because he didn't fly. They offered him to have him in one of the cars behind the train so that way he didn't have to be on a bus any longer and it would be better accommodations for him. That's how significant he was. When he came to your network, you were the place that people wanted to watch NFL football. So he was the best at that. And then he decided, you know what? I'm done. And he walked out as the number one commentator and never came back. And when he put a video game out, as Tanner said, he wasn't just going to put out something. If his name was on it, it was going to be the best. And it has remained the only NFL video game out there. So everything he touched, he he didn't just do it. He made it into the best thing in that specific vein. Real quick, because I know we got to get to Dan, but just to give you a little perspective on how impactful one man has been on video games, I just looked this up. So g- top grossing when it started in 1988, it has sold $130 million top grossing video games <laughs> that's more than zelda resident evil nba 2k and star wars like think of that for a minute i mean he basically has sold half of what mario has sold in its history and mario has been around since 1983 so five years before madden he is half his video game has been half the amount of sales as Mario. Yeah. That's how impactful one man has been. And that's for a sports game. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's, that's for a sports you're, you're in a specific game. market with that. It's it's amazing. Once he when his name was offered to something tough acting to acting like he, he was the guy behind that rent a center. I know what rent a center is because of John Madden. People he make put tur- his name on something and he was like, I, this is I am I am blessing this product by saying you should go do it. His endorsements meant something. He, he He's the guy that now people make turducken in the holidays because, because of, of him, because of this man, because he put a turkey, chicken and duck together. They now make that for meals and stuffing. Don't forget oh, about the stuffing. stuffing. It was also. Yeah, that's like the most important part stuffing. of it. With I Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. In 15 minutes, we'll play a game of more likely to happen. You'd give us two scenarios. We'll tell you which one's more likely. That's at 1045. But next, Dan Zimborski is the guy that came up with the Zips projections over on Fangraphs. We've talked about them a lot over the last couple of weeks. We'll ask Dan what he has as his biggest takeaway from the Cardinal Zips projections next on 101 ESPN. So what a turducken is, a turducken, this thing here is a deboned duck stuffed in a deboned chicken stuffed in a deboned turkey with stuffing now you're talking and that has eight legs we're right back to more of it it's bk and ferrario live from the car shield studio on 101 espn Ferrario 
Kyle and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. We are very happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. An old friend, Dan Zimborski. He's the senior writer for Fangraphs. You may know the Zips projections over at Fangraphs. We've talked a little bit about those over the last couple of weeks, talking about what we can expect from the Cardinals in 2022. Dan joins us now via the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Dan, always appreciate the time, man. How you doing today? I'm doing well. Uh, and since you guys aren't the Rockies, you're probably happier with the projection. <laughs> well, it's it's a low bar to clear, but yeah, we are definitely happier. We're happy that, that the Rockies exist. I so Nolan that, Arenado is a part of the Cardinals. And I say that every day, Dan. I'm just happy we're not the Rockies. <laughs> well, I mean, you got the 50 million, too. Don't forget that. Yeah, you, you got both. You got Nolan Arenado. You got $50 million. And you didn't have to give up any of your top prospects. It's not bad to be a Cardinals fan right now. Dan, the, the problem, though, for a lot of Cardinals fans is that that's all it is. It's, it's just it's not bad. You're, you're projecting them to be right around the 85 to 90 win threshold in your Zips projections, the same way that you have basically for a decade now. Does this team in your mind, given the emergence last year of Tyler O'Neill and now having those other two big bats with Goldie and Arenado, do you feel like it has a higher ceiling than they've had in recent seasons or, or is it just the same old Cardinals in your mind? Well, I think on the, on the fundamental level, the Cardinals are always assembled as a very solid team. No huge risks, uh, reliant on a large base of players rather than a few stars to fuel it. And that does tend to limit, you know, the chances of having, you know, one of those crazy 105 win seasons. Uh, I don't think the offense is the limiting factor this year. It's, it's quite solid. There's no real hole that you could say. I know, I know some people aren't too happy with the shortstop situation. They want Trevor story. I think that the problems with Paul DeYoung is are quite overrated. Uh, but of course that's, that's an argument we could have for a half an hour, depending <laughs> on who's where, I think right now it's the pitching that's kind of the limit because the really, I mean, John, uh, I mean, Flaherty has, you know, tremendous upside, but you know, Adam Wainwright is serviceable. He's durable, but he's also pretty old. The others are more inning eater types. Uh, I do think that the Cardinals could have used another starter to kind of boost that ceiling a little. Uh, But I, I'm pretty comfortable with, them being an 85 to 90 win team and that can very easily be good enough in the in the NL Central. So Dan, let's talk a little bit about this offense that that you're you're pretty high on. I, I mean, I'm looking at your zips. So Nolan Arenado's got the highest with a 4.5, but right below him is Tyler O'Neill at 4.4 and everyone uh, saw what O'Neill did in the second half of last season. Uh, according to these zips, are you considering or projecting that Tyler O'Neill's just going to continue what he did in the second half this last year? I'm uh, pretty uh, if, if you look at his, at, at his history, uh, Zips actually thought that he was, I mean, you look at t- 2020, that was a rough season, but from the hit data, uh, you know, velocity data and the like, Zips thought that was, he was quite underrated for what he did. So there was a little, little, I don't know if you want to necessarily call it bad luck, uh, but those kinds of things bounce out zips from his data this year. I mean, his average exit velocity was 93 miles per hour. Zip saw him as a nearly 600 slugging hitter this year, uh, even better than the five, six he actually slugged. So there are reasons for optimism. He's in his prime right now. This is probably as good as he's going to get. Uh, so I think you just ride it and enjoy it at this point. 
We're talking to Dan Zimborski, senior writer for Fangraphs, the founder of the Zips Projections over on Fangraphs. You can also give him a follow on Twitter at D Zimborski, S-Z-Y-M-B-O-R-S-K-I. Dan, who's the guy on the Cardinals that you're least comfortable with the projection that you have right now, whether it's because you think you might be over projecting them or because you think they have a chance to completely outperform what your projections are right now? I, I think Dylan Carlson, in a way, because this does project some regression to the mean, but with so many complications around what is essentially a, a lost 2020 season for a lot of players around that age. Uh, he did not get as many at-bats as he would have in a normal year. Uh, he was excellent in the minors in 2019. I think Zips could be underselling him a bit just because of the the unknowable long-term consequences of being a 21 year old, not getting a full development season in 2020. Uh, I think that's actually a problem generally with a lot of players of his type, the, the, the excellent prospect close to the majors that, that lost time in 2020, but it's one of those things you can't really guess ahead of time. So I think I would actually take the over on Carlson. Dan, uh, you mentioned the pitching staff and specifically the rotation, but when you look at the staff and hole with the rotation and the bullpen, are you still down on this group for the Cardinals, or do you feel like there might be a little bit more upside if you include the ro- the of the bullpen? Uh, I, I think that depth is a concern. Uh, I don't think it's quite as deep as it has been in previous years. I, I would like to see another bullpen arm, not necessarily an elite one, but somewhere kind of in the middle of the bullpen, you know, one of those lower key uh, signings. And I, I do think that they, another inning eater, although it's hard to say who's actually available at this point, but that would be helpful. Dan, when you look at the rotation, one of the things that I, I, I do wonder when it comes to projections, and I'd love to get your insight on this, how difficult is it to capture the Cardinals defensive prowess in something like this? Because you, you look at a guy like Steven Matz, for example, and he's basically been a league average pitcher for the vast majority of his career. I think the Cardinals are hoping that because their defense is so good behind him and you look at all the gold gloves that they ha- they had last year and you could see it there, they believe they can get more out of Steven Matz than what other teams have been able to thus far in his career. Are you able to capture that within the projections at all? Uh, well, Zips is aware that the Cardinals are an excellent defensive team and projects them to be. Uh, if you look at the pitchers list you and you look at the ERA and the FIP com- and you compare them, you'll find that most of their best pitchers have an ERA well under their FIP. Uh, Fla- Jack Flaherty by a quarter of a point. Uh, Adam Wainwright by a quarter of a point. Steven Matz by about .15 runs. Uh, Dakota Hudson by more than a third of a run. Uh, so there is reason to believe that they can – ring the most out of these guys uh, with, with thanks to that defense. Uh, but, you know, you have an even better picture. You can ring out a little more out of them, too. So, Dan, we, we talked a lot about how with the way that this roster is right now, I mean, it seems like it's a two-dog race in the NL Central between the Cardinals and the Brewers. And, yes, the Cubs still make a move with the rumors of Carlos Correa. With what your projections projections are going with for this Cardinals team, are you looking at a team that could con- seriously contend for a World Series, or do you feel like they're off from that? Well, I, I, you know, any team that makes the playoffs has a good shot at winning the World Series, uh, especially if they win the division, the, the division uh, because you can skip that one-game wild card. Uh, I think that the Cardinals are the, if you look at the Cardinals versus the Brewers, the Cardinals are the more solidly built team, but the Brewers possibly have a little more upside simply because they have a little more volatility on that team. I think in the best-case scenario, the Brewers can have a pitching, better pitching staff than Cardinals in the best-case scenario. And the Brewers have, you know, a lot of high upside guys with a lot of 
risk around them. Uh, I think like Keston Hira uh, is a lot of risk, but he could blow up. Uh, Christian Yelich, it's hard to know what they have in that point, but he could be the NL MVP. Uh, so I think it's a very close race. Uh, but I think that I'd prefer just for a, a stress blood pressure issue to, to run the Cardinals and the Brewers. Final question that I've got for Dan Zimborski of Fangraphs. He's joining us here on BK and Ferrario. Uh, Dan, if I told you, hey, you're going to be in John Mosaylock's chair once things open back up after this lockout is over and you've got $10 million to go out and spend on the open market. You can spend it in any way that you want to, whether you divvy it up between three different guys that are kind of on the lower level of the market or you just want to go out there and get one player that you think is going to improve this roster the best way possible. How would you allocate that, whether it be individual players that you think would be interesting for the Cardinals or just a position or positions that you would throw it at? How would you allocate that $10 million if I gave it to you? I think it would be fun. Uh, there's, there's not a lot of great inning eaters left in, in uh, free agency. I, I know you can't get Carlos Rodon for $10 million, but once you put me in the chair, maybe I'll, I would trick you in letting me spend more. Uh, failing that, I think I would go after... Uh, you know, a reliever with upside, uh, like Colin McHugh. That's the kind of player that I'd be interested in. Maybe Danny Duffy, just because he does have upside, and I like to have just upside around in the rotation where possible. He's Dan Zimborski. Find his work over at Fangraphs. Give him a follow on Twitter at DZimborski, S-Z-Y-M-B-O-R-S-K-I. That's where you'll find his Zips projections for the Cardinals in 2022. Dan, it's always great to catch up with you, man. Have a happy new year, and we'll talk with you again soon. Always fun. Thanks for having me on, guys. You got it. That's Dan Zimborski here on 101 ESPN. I do find it interesting, man. Anytime we talk to anybody nationally, it's the same thing. Cardinals don't have enough pitching. Cardinals don't have enough starters to be specific because they they, they just – as currently constructed, according to the national analysts, they don't have the depth in their rotation to get through the season. I just disagree with the assessment. I just don't get it. Like, look, if I could get Carlos Radon this offseason, like, hell yeah, give me this guy. Even if he is injured, like maybe you could get something from him this season. Where are you going to use him? You're not going a six-man rotation. And it's hard for me to believe that Dakota Hudson, Miles Michaelis, or the person you signed in the offseason would agree to being a long stretch guy in your bullpen unless you're getting a Jay Happ or a John Lester. Where are you putting them? That's what I just don't get. We I swiped left on or no, swiped right. I don't remember. You liked it or you didn't I like it? I liked it last <laughs> yesterday right. for Zach Greinke. <laughs> but where are you putting them? I'd love to have him, but he doesn't make any sense in terms of a rotation spot. I like his name that he brought up there at the end, Colin McHugh. We we've talked about him before. Yeah. Colin McHugh, the former Astros pitcher last year he was with Tampa Bay he he can start he has started in the past he's, he's cheater, also though. been a, a significant uh, an important reliever Whoa. he's a pitcher he, he wasn't up there hitting yeah. he's in the American League come oh, on sure yeah. he didn't have the mics cans. last year he had a 1.5 ERA in 64 innings with the Rays he did so in 37 appearances so he was he was a long man and he was the opener for them a, a few different times last year He's the type of pitcher that I do think makes sense because he can be a swing swing player for you where if you need a few innings out of a starter, he can give you that. If you need a guy that can bridge that gap between the fifth and the seventh inning to get you to your high leverage relievers, he could do that for you. I could see the value in a guy like Colin McHugh. Danny Duffy scares the hell out of me with his injuries, but I understand the re- rationale behind him. It's very similar to McHugh. You're just getting a cheaper uh, player in that regard and younger a little bit, but... 
those are the types of pieces that I do think make sense. Carlos Rodon, I, I'm looking at this at MLB Trade Rumors. They projected a one-year $25 million contract for him. I, I wouldn't do it. First of all, the injury issues just in a vacuum I'm not interested. And also for this team, I just don't think that's the route that makes sense for them. Yeah, I, I mean, if you're going to sign a, a rotation arm to eat innings, you're doing that with the understanding of you're concerned about the injury risk with the guys that are already there. So yeah. I'm not going out and signing a guy who's had injury problems over the last couple of years because you're essentially adding another injured guy to your rotation. you got to get a guy who's healthy. It's about certainty. Yeah. If you're adding somebody to the mix, you're trying to add certainty to your rotation and Danny Duffy doesn't include doesn't add that. Carlos Rodon does not add that. Right. You would need. That's why I do think Zach Grinky, the, the guy that you swiped right on yesterday, if you just want a sixth starter, he makes sense because even though the results have started to uh, lag a little bit over the last couple of years, he's still giving you innings. Right. You've known okay, 170 innings plus. You can lock that in uh, next year then if you I'm signed doing him. That. I could get behind that. I understand the rationale behind a move like that. I, I just don't see it with Carlos Rodon. That that one doesn't make a whole lot of sense I mean, to if me. if you get him for 10 mil, great. But 25, yeah, no not, way. It's not yeah. happening. And I do think the Cardinals are going to use that six-man rotation more than we expect this year. The thing is, is I think nationally people look at it and say they don't have that guy. I think internally the Cardinals view Jake Woodford as that guy. And, and we've we've seen the quotes. I think it was at the winter meet or GM meetings. I think John Mozeliak said, "Yeah, he's he's not a Triple A guy anymore." Okay, well then, right there is that guy. And now I that's what I can't seem to get behind because I could understand if he said, "Okay, they need to go add another arm to be that six, like a Wade LeBlanc type guy to be a sixth man." But the way the Cardinals are speaking, and I have faith in what I saw at the end of the year from Jake Woodford, he's that guy. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service tax line to get involved in the show in fifteen minutes. Which Blues player are you most concerned could take a step back for them after the pause? We'll talk about that coming up at the top of the hour. But next, more likely to happen. You give us two scenarios. We'll tell you which one's more likely here on BK and Ferrario. What's more likely to happen? They'll figure it out. BK and Ferrario's most likely to happen. better for you BK really good 65780 is the air comfort service text line for more likely to happen you throw two scenarios at us we will tell you which one is more likely let's start out with this one from the 314 more likely to duplicate their numbers from a year ago Tyler O'Neill or Harrison Bader are you looking at their zips no, wow. they're Zips Plus exclusively. Well, O'Neill's four four, Bader's four three. So oh, Tyler O'Neill last year hit two ninety with thirty four home runs and eighty RBI. I know those are the very rudimentary numbers. Let's just stick with those for now. Two ninety average, thirty four homers, eighty RBI. Harrison Bader finished with a two seventy batting average. 15 homers, 50 RBI. Remember, he only played in 100 games last year. Which one of those is more likely to sustain what they did a year ago? I feel like this is your way to to drag me into picking Harrison Bader. No. So I can I jump know. on the Bader bandwagon with you once again. You're not welcome on this bandwagon. Whoa, man. I tried to get on it last year. Uh, I'm going to pick Bader. I don't know if Tyler O'Neill can sustain the 290 is what I'm looking more at because if he is the prototypical power guy, and maybe he took a took a turn this past year and maybe he is more of a contact guy and he can recognize pitches better that's going to be tough to sustain if you're a guy who's going to try and hit 40 bombs for this team this year and i think that's what they want more jeff albert swing baby swing um i'm gonna go i'm gonna go bader here 
I think Bader, if you keep him towards the bottom of the lineup and hope he maybe he's the second leadoff hitter for you, I think he can be a little bit more productive there. So I'll say more likely Bader. I think I'm going to go more likely Tyler O'Neill because I think he just projects as that kind of guy that puts up those kind of numbers. And he he had, what, 32 home runs, if I'm not mistaken? Uh, O'Neill? Yeah. 34 last 34. year. To me, that's kind of where I kind of expect him. And I think the average actually, I'm actually a little surprised by the average that he put up last year. But I think he can actually be that kind of a hitter. So I think I'm going to say it's more likely Tyler O'Neill. I think I would go Tyler O'Neill as well. I love Harrison Bader. You guys know that. But I love Harrison Bader because of what he does defensively. I don't think he needs to be a 270 hitter for him to be a plus player for the Cardinals. As long as he hits 250 and is not an a consistent out for the Cardinals, like he just can't be what he was in 2019. That's it. As long as he's better than that, you're fine with him being an everyday starter for you in center field because of how much production he gives you defensively uh he hit 200 back in 2019 his ops was 680 that's really bad what he's been for you three out of the last four years though is perfectly fine in 2018 he had a 755 ops in 2020 he had a 780 ops and last year he was at 785 that's a fine player as long as he's somewhere around there you're pretty good with him but i don't think he needs to be close to an 800 OPS guy for you to believe in him as an everyday starter. I'll go Tyler O'Neill is the more likely player to replicate what he did a year ago. Cause I think he can be a legit MVP candidate next year. Six, five, seven, eight. Oh, is the air comfort service tech slide for more likely to happen from the three, one, four more likely Mizzou finishes in the top 25 or they don't become bull eligible next Obviously year. Obviously talking basketball, correct? I don't think so, man. Top 25. We can see it, right? No, um, I'm going to say it's more likely they're top 25. I just don't see them missing a bowl this year with the players and the, and the, and the talent that they have coming in this season, especially if you're switching quarterbacks from what we saw in this bowl game, you're adding Luther burden to this. I'm sure you have a couple of other impact players that I'm not a hundred percent sure about. You would be, you're the expert. I'm going to say it's more likely they're top 25, which I know that's a stretch, but I just don't see any scenario how they miss out on a bowl. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it's more likely they would be top 25 because I can't see them missing a bowl like the talent you said. And just looking at their schedule, I I, I don't know if I could pick out. I mean, you got to lose seven games not to be bowl eligible. I can't pick out seven losses on the schedule. So I think it's definitely more likely they'd be top 25. So you look at what Kentucky was this year, and I think that's that's the path. Kentucky finished the year ranked 22nd nationally. And they had a win against number 10, Florida, who didn't end up finishing the season in the top 25. They lost their game against Georgia by a decent margin. Finished nine and three. That's the path for Mizzou. Do I think Mizzou is actually going to finish nine and three? No, I'm not projecting that. Yesterday I said I thought eight wins seemed reasonable for them. They've got a game at Auburn next year. They have to go against Georgia. They've got a game at Florida. And they've got a game against Arkansas. Those are the four games. If you can go one and three in those four games, maybe even two and two, you're probably going to finish the year winning around eight or nine games. And that could be enough in the SEC to get you into the top 25. So I'll say it's more likely they finish in the top 25. I just don't know how they finish with five wins next year. If they do, something's gone terribly, terribly wrong. And most likely it's the quarterback position. They ended up changing from Connor Bazelak to Brady Cook or Tyler Macon or Sam Horn and those guys didn't live up to expectations so I think it's more likely that they end up in the top 25 next year than missing out on a bowl. I got a more likely for you guys yeah with a little breaking news attached to it you ready for this 
I'm Breaking very ready. The Blues have made a trade, guys. Really? More Get likely to happen, you're going to know who the guy is that they acquired from Minnesota. I, I just confirm. saw who this gentleman is. I confirm I, I don't know. <laughs> they acquired Will Bitten from Minnesota for Nolan Stevens. Is he good? Who's Nolan Stevens? <laughs> I <laughs> didn't even know the Blues. <laughs> I was going to ask the same question. Blues have been bitten with a forward. Come on, guys. Up top. Can you tell me anything about Nolan Stevens? All I can tell you is he's two years younger. He's a forward and he's never played in the NHL, but he had two points against the preseason action. Are we talking about Bitten or Stevens? Bitten. Stevens. Okay. I, don't think Stevens I don't really know what Stevens. Stevens is, yeah, actually, it's two guys that have never played in the NHL. Stevens had a cup of coffee with the with the Blues, I think, his first year when he signed uh, because they needed a couple of bodies. Bitten's never played. Bitten's two years younger. They're both forwards. Basically, this is probably a change of scenery for Nolan Stevens, who wants a shot at the NHL, and the Blues never were going I, to have a spot for him. I don't like the Bitten deal. character is a minus 16 so far Ooh, this year. Oh, that's pretty good. That means I, he's on the offensive side of the puck a lot. I, you know, I don't like the deal. Trading within the division, not a fan. Hey, is Doug, Iowa just terrible? Like, is, is the Iowa, Are the Iowa Wild awful? Doug Armstrong may have just fleeced the Minnesota Wild, you know? Let me, let me ask my Calder Trophy. Hey, how's the Iowa... You want to know how the expert. Iowa Wild are? Yeah. Well, let's take a look. The By Iowa way, Wild right of... now are third in their division. Well, okay, well, then this guy stinks. Whoa! Oh, dude, dude, you don't, don't know, know anything any... about him. He's a minus 16, man. Hey, he's 5'11", 174 with eight points. Okay. Yeah. In 23 games. Speaking of the American Hockey League, the Springfield Thunderbirds game today was postponed due to COVID. Way to All go, right. man. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Breaking news. In 15 minutes, we'll talk to Mike Rupp about this huge trade that just took place for the Blues. And coming yeah. up next, uh, what, are, what is the area that you're most concerned could take a step back for the Blues after the pause? Alex will give you his thoughts on this. We'll give you ours coming up next on 101 ESPN. They are St. Louis. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. When we were injured or injured and COVID and we had a bunch of guys out, you know, we we played a certain style of game that was successful and we got to continue to do that. That was Craig Berube yesterday talking after practice about what the Blues need to do now that they have some of their players coming back from the COVID list and from injuries with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll talk to Mike Rupp about all of this coming up here in about 10 minutes or so. But Alex, I thought this was interesting hearing Craig Berube talking about the style that the Blues had started to play with the AHL call-ups and how now it, it is going to be an adjustment. When you have these guys coming back, all of all of us from the outside looking at, in view this as a positive, right? Hey, uh, Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo and David Perron, they're, they're all back. This is a good thing. They're better players objectively than the ones who you previously had on the ice. It's all true. It also changes the way that you're going to be able to play. And I did find Craig Berube's comments about this yesterday to be interesting. Here's him uh, both reaffirming and also expanding on what you just heard. We played a certain game, you know, with all these guys out of lineup. We we're pretty sim- simple and forward and north hockey, physical. They got to do that stuff. Get back in the lineup. That's their job is to do that. You know, it's not to change the style of play or game we had. We want to play the same way. Um, we're getting some real good skill back but 
within that skill, these guys got to work and they got to compete and they got to be physical. Yeah, I mean, that's the biggest concern, in my opinion, coming back with this one is not having the game that Dakota Joshua, that Nathan Walker, that Matthew Pekka, that uh, Torpchenko brought to you. And I know people hear that and like, the hell are you talking about? You're getting Kairou and Thomas back. How couldn't they bring that? If you're going more offensive skill and if you're trying to uh, play that style, you're going to get beat. You got to play the style that those guys were in terms of smart plays with the puck and continuing to pressure with the forecheck. You got to bring the physicality. You got to hit. You got to block shots. You got to put your body on the line every single time that you're on the ice. That's going to be an area of concern. And frankly, they got away from that against the Winnipeg Jets. I mean, they played probably the style that they need to play to compete and contend in the Central to a T in those two games against the Dallas Stars. And how did they do that? The way that they played, simple hockey. So that's going to be an area of concern, I would assume, from Craig Berube and the coaching staff is, are these guys trying to do too much because they've been out of the lineup for so long? Or are they going to come in and play the simple brand of hockey? Because as soon as somebody gets away from that, then everyone on the team starts trying to do too much. You asked us the question last night, Alex. What's the area that you're most concerned could take a step back whenever they return from this brief pause? That's it for me. Yeah. My, my, my biggest question, and maybe you could call it a concern, I suppose, is what do these guys look like who have been out for a while? Both in terms of are they actually back to 100% or does it take some time for them to to get back into the swing of things? And also, can they play that same style that they were playing previously? Because... I do wonder in some ways, did the Blues get back on track because they had guys that would just completely buy into what Craig Burby wanted to do? I know Craig Burby can win with his style. I know he can. We've seen it at both the highest of levels and also in the regular season. He's been very successful in his time as the Blues head coach. I also know he wants to play a specific way. And there is room for freedom within that structure. He's said as much multiple times, especially when you hear him talking with the fast lane. But... He does have a specific style that he would like to play. And when you have Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas on the ice and David Perron on the ice, there are times when they do get away from that structure. And I am very curious to see what that looks like both tonight and also as we move forward over the next couple of weeks. Can they blend in to what the Blues had built structure wise with these AHL call ups? I think the answer should be yes. We had seen it early on where they played so well for the first five, six, seven games of the season. I just don't know. And that's probably my single biggest question here for the here and now is uh, what does that look like when they get these guys back on the well, ice? And remember the first five, six games of the season where they went on that win streak. They were great in the first two periods. It was the third period that they couldn't kill off the opponent. And as then Doug it became Armstrong the second said. period after a while. And then it became the second period. Then it became the first period. But Doug Armstrong even told Curbs and I a couple of weeks ago that the third period is the biggest concern to where they just let the foot off the gas when they're up by a goal. That's what happened the last time you played the Edmonton Oilers. You let the foot off the gas in the first period. They scored with three seconds left to tie things up. You let the foot, the foot off of the gas when things were tied with 27 seconds left in regulation and you lost that game. That's going to be an area. But if I had to hone in on one and why I asked this question to you guys, I'm concerned about the penalty kill. Penalty kill has been one of the biggest reasons why this team has been so good in the month of December, despite having big players in their lineup. It's a good point. Look, you're getting David Perron back. That's huge. But David Perron does take penalties. And if you're going to have a guy who takes penalties, your penalty kill has to be great. In December, they were 90% fourth best in the NHL. That's my biggest concern if they can keep that up. And if they can't, 
their game's going to take a step backwards. That's Alex Ferrario. You'll hear him tonight. Blues versus Oilers pregame coverage begins at 630 right here on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, we're talking to former NHL player, Stanley Cup champion, now NHL Network analyst Mike Rupp about what he thinks it's like for these players right now who have just been told, hey, you aren't going to be participating in the Olympics this year. I also want to ask him what it's like to play in the Winter Classic. He's been in a couple. We'll talk to Mike Rupp about all of that coming up next on 101 ESPN. Giving you the picture, the real big St. Louis sports picture. It's BK and Ferrario, live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. It was a special day in history. I'm never going to forget it. It was January 2nd of 2012. Alex, you may remember this as the Winter Classic game. Indeed. Between the New York Rangers and the Philadelphia Flyers. And I have to imagine our current guest, he is Mike Rupp, former NHL player, Stanley Cup champion, now an analyst over at NHL Network. He's joining us via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. I bet you he remembers January 2nd of 2012. It was the day when he scored two goals in the Winter Classic against the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, Mike, what was that experience like for you as you were out there playing in the winter classic scoring a couple of goals against the flyers hey guys no it was awesome i mean uh, those i played in uh i was fortunate enough to have the opportunity to play in the winter classic in 2011 and that was the the game between uh pittsburgh who i played for in, in washington at uh heinz field in pittsburgh and then the next year obviously it's citizens bank park in philadelphia with the rangers going in there and it was it was cool. I mean, those two experiences were, I, I didn't grow up playing outdoor hockey. Um, I never played, I guess, outdoor hockey or it's certainly not organized outdoor hockey. Um, so it was really cool. It was a, it was an awesome experience and, and getting out there and it felt, I don't know, it just felt it was, it was a different feeling. I mean, you have that many people, you know, 65,000 people. That's quite a bit of a difference from an 18,000, 19,000 seat arena in the NHL. So uh, it was incredible. The atmosphere and, you know, fortunately, I was able to, um, you know, step up and, and provide some offense for our team. And we got some, uh, I lost one and, and won the other. So uh, uh, it was good. I got a little bit of a taste of both sides of it. Yeah, Mike, and us in St. Louis, of course, we all remember that winter classic between the Blues and Blackhawks where Tarasenko stole the show in the third period. And what an experience that was. Uh, of course, your former team, the Minnesota Wild, taking on the Blues this Saturday in the winter classic. Not only is that one going to be exciting because it's the first winter classic played in Minnesota and the first one I believe Minnesota's involved in, but I mean, you got two high power teams going head to head in the Central Division on Saturday as well. Yeah, you know what? I I think that a lot of the coming into the season, a lot of attention was given, deservingly so, to the, the Colorado Avalanche, and uh, you know I, I think that's a really good team. Um, they very well could come back and and take that division in the regular season, but I don't think there's much of a difference in regards to the, the level of um, you know the level that the St. Louis Blues and, and Minnesota Wild can get to. I think they're just as good, and and quite frankly, I, I think that in some ways they're both better built than the Colorado Avalanche. So um, I, I think those are these are both two teams that I kind of have marked down that, you know, don't sleep on the Blues, don't sleep on the Wild. I think both teams can make a lot of noise come postseason, so this will be a great matchup. Mike Rupp is our guest here on 101 ESPN. Rupp, I saw your comments the other day on NHL Network saying that the Blues are a potential dark horse candidate uh, to win the Stanley Cup this year. And I know a lot of Blues fans are excited because the team has been incredibly successful despite being without 
many of their main players. And now they're finally starting to get healthy once again. Uh, What is it about this team that you think makes them a potential Stanley Cup contender? Is there anything in particular uh, that you're most excited about what you've seen from them so far this year? I love their roster. I love their roster. And and to to your point, they haven't been healthy this year, and they've still been pretty good. I mean, they're sitting in a really good spot considering a lot of the stuff they've had to go through and man games lost, and they haven't really iced a full lineup, a healthy lineup all year. So I I just think that this is a a team where – you know, a lot of times when you sit there, and the way that that kind of came up was, is you know, a lot of times nowadays, obviously with the the sports betting, they kind of bring the odds out, and and, and you know, we're, we don't really talk to, oh, I bet this game. We're not talking that, but when we see the odds, the odds say to me as an analyst, this is what people believe in in this team, and this is what they don't believe in in another team. And I'm looking at that, and St. Louis is way down there, and I'm thinking to myself, oh my gosh, like we're just talking about roster builds. I put them up against any roster. I mean, that's how good that team is, and they've been playing really well. They've had some some guys really thriving this year, and I, mean, I think Pavel Bushnevich has been an awesome ad. Um, they just they they simply have more, and they've been pretty good up to this point. So that's why that kind of came up. I'm like, why would you know? They're not getting enough love. They're not getting enough respect for what they've done thus far, but also for what they can do. I mean, that's a dangerous, dangerous team. And they're not far removed from winning at all. And a lot of the guys are still on roster. So I think that comes into the equation as well. Mike, what is it about the makeup of the Blues roster that makes you believe in them? Because I feel like the Blues have done this season what Colorado had last year in terms of depth on offense. Is that it or is there something else? Well, even both these two teams in the Winter Classic. So you got the Wild and and the Blues. And I'm not trying to. uh, Ryan O'Reilly is world class. Um, Vlad is, is unbelievable. But they're Neither of them are, are absolute superstars in the NHL right now. You know what I mean? Like, they're not, I guess my point is they're not Austin Matthews. They're not, you know, Connor McDavid. They're not Sidney Crosby. Like, they're, they're a hell of a player, uh, player individually and, and respectfully in what they bring to the table. But this is what I'm saying is good about them. They have so many weapons on this team, and they don't, they're, not, they're not reliant on one guy, one line. That's a dangerous thing come playoff time. I mean, you talk about four lines healthy on paper. I I would put St. Louis Blues up against everybody. And they have those specialty players and the players that can be great. I mean, we saw Ryan O'Reilly, who won the Conn Smythe back when this team won the Cup. Like, he has that ability to get to that kind of all-world level. But And Vlad Tarasenko can flip a game on its head in two shifts. So they, they have those guys who are difference makers that can change a game real quick. But that's not always about... The playoffs aren't always about the... The, the the best teams, the most talented players on the team. It's about the depth. And when you look through lines one through four, I mean, they've got difference makers as well as Minnesota. I mean, Minnesota, we, we talk about the rookie of the year and Kirill um, Kaprizov from last year. He's having a fantastic season, but they don't rely on him every night. Ryan Hartman's been unbelievable. When Joel Erickson X healthy, he's been unbelievable. I mean, they've got some, some pieces throughout their lineup, and, and that, that's really special because not many teams have that. That depth is something we've talked a lot about, Mike, because when you when you look at the Blues and you mentioned it, they've had literally one game so far this year where they've had their entire roster roster that we expected to be um, in the starting lineup actually in the starting lineup. It's only happened once so far this season. And so one thing we've been kind of kicking around is, okay, what does this look like when everybody is back on the ice? And maybe it just won't happen this year, but hopefully, fingers crossed, it will soon. How difficult is it? 
for some guys in your mind to accept those roles? Because, I mean, a guy like Ivan Barbashev, he's had time on the top line with the Blues this year. He was part of that Russian line that the Blues had that was unbelievably successful. And now when he returns from the COVID list, he might be relegated to a third or potentially even a fourth line role for the Blues. How difficult is that as a player when you've had that success skating up in the lineup to then have to accept a role that's a little further down? You know, I'm glad you brought up uh, Barbashev because that's the one guy I I've, I actually kind of highlighted in, in some of the other talks on NHL Network this year that I, I forgot to mention right there. I mean, that, that guy right there is a perfect example, right? So you're going to play the St. Louis Blues. Who are you game planning for? What are you game planning about? It's not Ivan Barbashev, but he has shown so far this year he could bite you. And that's what this whole lineup has those guys to do that. And what, what it means, though, when they get healthy, yeah. I mean, maybe he assumes – um, less of a offensive role, but that that's a great thing about him and a lot of the players on this team. They're not one dimensional players. It doesn't, they don't rely on just scoring goals. I mean, Ryan O'Reilly, he doesn't, you know, he, he can go 20 games without a goal and he could still be your best player. Like he does so many things out there and Barbashev provides those things. And, you know, we saw back, I mean, it, it, the, the health has been a big thing. We saw that with Oscar Sundquist back when they went on that run. You know what I mean? Like they have the guys who, who can contribute doing other things beyond just scoring. So I, I think for a player, when you get in that role and there's injuries and you get an opportunity to come play up, you're okay with when the team gets healthy going back. A, if you're winning, because whenever you're winning, everybody's all good and everybody, everything's cool. But you've also showed here, and this is a big part of it, you showed Craig Brube and the staff that, hey, when you, if we get in a pinch or things get a little dull or we lose, you know, we plateau a little bit, I'm your guy. I'll, I'm the fire starter. Put me up there with these guys and get it going. I think that's big. The, Craig Brube now has been able to learn what buttons I can push. Okay, this player can provide this. You know, we've seen that already this year. So um, it's okay. Get, you know, now you might have to reevaluate or sorry, readjust your game a little bit to go down. You might not be getting the ice time, so you want to make sure you're doing the right things. But um, I think everything's coming up uh, golden for this team right now, and the biggest thing is just to get healthy. Mike, if there was one area of concern for this team for the rest of the season, which one would it, or what would it be? Um, I mean, obviously, it's for every team is the health, but uh, um, so I don't want to say that. I, I, I guess the the difference is I, I, I think Jordan Bennington is even the goaltending situation in general and it's been it's been pretty good all three guys have been 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 good and uh you know jordan bennington has been good and i think he can he he was great though when they won the cup so i don't want to hinge everything on him put the pressure on him although this is a guy that can handle it if he can be even a tinge better that's all the difference in the world for this team. You know what I mean? And, and I think a lot of it's going to rely on the goaltending that they're going to get come, coming down the stretch here and, and, and into the playoffs. But that goes for every team, so that's nothing, nothing new. But I think this team is so well-structured, so well-coached. They've got the talent. They can put up the goals. Now if they just get good goaltending, maybe a little bit above good. It doesn't have to be outstanding, just, just, just better than good. <laughs> and I think this team's all set and ready to go. You can watch NHL Network analyst Mike Rupp live from Minnesota's Target Field on NHL tonight before and after the NHL Winter Classic on Saturday, January 1st. Blues taking on the Minnesota Wild. Mike, we always appreciate the time, man. Thank you so much for hopping on with us today. We wish you all the best. Have a happy new year, and we'll talk with you again soon. Yes, you guys, happy new year as well. Enjoy the game, and uh, 
you know, just uh, take care. You Thanks, got it. Mike. That's Mike Rupp joining us here on 101 ESPN. I think what he said there at the end is really interesting because I actually agree with that. You don't need Jordan Bennington to be a world, but he's been good this year. And I do think the Blues, if they're going to win the cup, they need him to be great. And maybe that's like he said it so simply. And I, sometimes we lose the simplicity in what we're talking about. And we're, we're trying to dive so far into it. And I, I uh, you lose the tree through the forest at times. But Alex, I think that's what I've been trying to say this year about Jordan Bennington is, yeah, he's been good. They need him to be great, though. And I, I, I don't think he's been great so far this season. I think he can be. We've seen it. But I do think he needs to take his game up just another notch for them to actually become that Stanley Cup contender. Uh, whereas right now, I, I think Rob's right. I think they're in that dark horse consideration. And I think it's important for everyone to have context with that, too. You need him to be great in the playoffs. So don't judge a goaltender in the regular season because sure. the regular season is a it's a marathon. You got to get to the playoffs, of course. But when you enter the playoffs, that's when a goalie can change things. Of course, Bennington was unbelievable in the regular season before they entered the playoffs. But you need your goalie to be a rock in the playoffs, and that's where you judge him more than the regular season. By the way, have you seen what the odds are right now for the Blues to win the Cup? Um, the last time I checked, it was, I mean, it was like... It's 24 to yeah, 1. Yeah, I was going to say, it was like 18 to 1 the last time I checked it. Yeah, they're 24 to 1 to win the Cup. In the Central Division, you've got the Avalanche. They're the favorite right now, the betting favorite to win the Stanley Cup at 5.5 uh, to 1. The Wild are at 18 to 1 in the Central um, and if I'm not mistaken, I believe the the Blues are the next team in the Central at 24 to one. The Stars are 35 to one, along with the Nashville Predators. Edmonton Oilers are at 20 to one. Surprisingly enough, those odds for the Blues have not changed much because I put money down on them when I was in Vegas, and I yeah. think I have them. I could be wrong. It's either at 25 or 30 to one. Yeah, they moved up a little bit towards the beginning of December because that's when I had looked at 18 to one when they were in a little bit of a winning streak where you felt like. But I mean. Uh, again, I'm with Mike, and, and if you missed his his piece on NHL Network, you could check it out on NHL Network's Twitter account, but he's right. like The fact that they're sitting at that number three years removed from a Stanley Cup is kind of, I don't want to say insulting, but it's kind of a joke. It, it is a really intriguing NHL season, though, because, I mean, you go through this, and, and if I ask you, Alex, okay, are the Blues definitively ahead of this team? Like, Would you pick them ahead of this team as a Stanley Cup contender? You do have to get down a little ways before you get to them. Like, I I think it's fair to take Colorado above the Blues. I understand if you would pick the Blues ahead of them, but I, I get why the Avs are the betting favorite. I think the Avs have the same questions that the Blues have. That's fair. They also have Nathan McKinnon, Gabriel Landeskog. <laughs> they do. <laughs> the best line in hockey. But that's where I think Mike was coming from. They have those guys, which you can't top that, but they don't have anybody else. Compared to the Blues, they have three other lines that can dominate. The The other teams ahead of the Blues right now are Tampa, Vegas, Florida, Toronto. And Alex, you can stop me if there's any that you're like, this is clearly a team that should not be ahead of the Blues. I, I wouldn't have Toronto there, but I understand why they're there. Keep going. Carolina, okay. Washington, Minnesota, Boston, yeah, that's right. Right there. Stop right there. And that's 20 to one, which isn't all that much higher yeah. than the Blues. So I I guess I kind of understand why the Blues are where they are when you put them in context. But yeah. it does seem like it's longer odds than I would expect it to be having watched this team. Rupp is right. I would have them in the exact same position as the Minnesota Wild. And that's why I would have stopped right before Boston. So 18 to one. 18 to one. Because Boston, in my opinion, is nowhere closer to the Blues being a Stanley Cup contender. In fact, I would have the Blues a little bit more 
of a better chance than them. So, by the way, somebody from the 636 and 65780 Zero Comfort Service text line asks us a, a fair question. What does 24 to 1 mean? What does 18 to 1 mean? So, basically, when I say that, it's, it is it is 18 to 1 means that if you bet $10 on the Blues to win the Stanley Cup, you would win 180. You would multiply it by 18 Ten, yeah. times whatever, whatever you're is. betting. So, the first number is what you would multiply 10 by, and you would win that amount. That's the easiest way to kind of explain what this is. And then if I say, like, plus 200, that means if you bet $100, you would win $200. If it's minus 150, if you bet $150, you would win $100. Minus all, usually means you're the favorite, plus correct. usually means you're it the underdog. always means that. So uh, that, that's the way that it works in, in betting parlance. Um, I, I understand it can be a little confusing, but right now the Blues, if you bet $100 on them, you would win two, 2400 is the way that it would work. Speaking of the Blues, some news to pass along from practice from Craig Bruby, according to our Blues insider Jeremy Rutherford. Uh, David Prawn, Jordan Cairo, Robert Thomas, all good to go tonight. Oscar Sundquist will be out tonight. The Blues oh, will call up somebody from Springfield, but that announcement will not be made till game time. Any guesses on who they would go with? Because you're, you're probably talking about a fourth-line center would be yeah, my assumption. probably bringing back Matthew Pekka or Alex Torpchenko. Okay. That's that's what I would imagine because your fourth line with Clem Costin and Nathan Walker, they're both wingers. So, yeah, you're probably bringing up, I would imagine, Matthew Pekka uh, because he's the only centerman out of those. Bold prediction. That fourth line ain't seen a whole lot of time tonight. Whoa. Yeah, I would say that's a pretty bold <laughs> prediction. I would say one player on will see a little bit more time than the others in Nathan Walker. But yeah, I don't see Clem Costin seeing more than 10 minutes, maybe less, um, whomever they bring up. If they bring up, if they don't bring up Sam Annis, like I wonder where they're at with this guy. I mean, I mean, he hasn't had, he hasn't been called up once. Yeah. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in 15 minutes, questions and answers, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. But next, the early list of coaching candidates is out. We now have a, a list of the guys that the Jaguars, and I understand they're incompetent, but the list of the guys that the Jaguars have requested to interview. Alex, if I'm on if I have a team right now and I'm teetering on whether or not I should fire my coach. I think this list would probably lead me to decide to keep my guy. I'll explain why coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to more of it. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Count that, that big bang. Some big news in the NHL. Alex just mentioned this during the break. According to Emily Kaplan, the NHL has changed its standard isolation requirements from 10 days to five days. This is now in line with what the CDC is recommending for those that are asymptomatic. According to Kaplan, players can exit the protocols after five days if they are asymptomatic and test negative as long as local health authorities okay it, which essentially means, hey, in Canada, sorry, but you ain't going to be part of this. You're stuck in it no matter what. For the Blues, this could be significant for guys like Ivan Barbashev and Dakota Joshua is on the, that list right now. Yeah, well, it was Joshua. So Barbashev was placed on it on the 23rd. So, I mean, he'd be eligible to come out of it 28th by the Winter Classic no matter what, even without the five days, the 10-day quarantine. eligible now. But, yeah, he could be. But Bortuzzo and Joshua and Neil, those are the ones that were placed in it on the 26th. And Neil skating today, which essentially means he's out of protocol if he tests a negative. False positive. I think that's what it was. So, but even so, if Bortuzzo and Joshua can test negative by the 31st, I mean, they could essentially be available for you on the Winter Classic. Are we you, thinking the game time decision? 
could be Ivan Barbashev. <laughs> you, I mean, oh. that's a pick one. <laughs> I mean, you could technically have your first look at a full roster since that Detroit Red Wings game on the Winter Classic against Minnesota. That'd be awesome. And Minnesota just had one of their best players placed in the pro- the protocol, so he's unavailable to play. Jonas Brodin. So that's where we're at with those. Uh, I did want to get a little NFL talk in here. So the Jaguars' head coaching candidates, as of day one of the interview request window, have been announced. These are the guys that the Jaguars have put in a request to talk with to interview for their head coaching position. The NFL changed the rules on this. You can now interview any assistant coach with two weeks remaining in the regular season. It used to be that there was that window in the playoffs where you could uh, request to interview those coaches. And um, a lot of teams, like if you had a bye week, you would have your assistants interview that week. But now it starts a little bit earlier. So the Jaguars are eligible to uh, interview a bunch of candidates across the league. Alex, when I saw this list, my immediate reaction was, whew, if I've got a guy that I'm just not sure on, like, for example, the Arizona Cardinals with Cl- Cliff Kingsbury, I'm not sure I'm firing that guy this offseason. Yeah. Let me read this list to you. It's Bucks defensive coordinator Todd Bowles, the former Jets coach. Didn't we do this experiment already? Former NFL head coach with the uh, with the Lions, Jim Caldwell, who, by the way, they have not reached the same heights since he was fired. So yeah. credit where it's due to Caldwell. Yeah, but at least Dan Campbell's doing better. Former Mizzou defensive coordinator, now Colts defensive coordinator, coordinator Matt Eberflus. I don't know who that is. Uh, Packers offensive coordinator, Nathaniel Hackett. Okay. Bucks offensive coordinator, Byron Leftwich. Cowboys offensive coordinator, Kellen Moore. Former Eagles coach, Doug Peterson. And now Cowboys defensive coordinator, former Falcons head coach, Dan Quinn. I think they should hire out of this list Doug Peterson. That would be the guy that I would go after. And that is not saying that Doug Peterson is a great head coaching candidate. No. I just think this is not a good list compared to previous years. You know how every year it's a, it's a different hiring cycle. There was one a few years ago where you had, um, I can't remember who else was out there on the market, but I know for sure it was the Kyle Shanahan year when the Falcons were in the Super Bowl. That was a big time Is that McVay's year? It might have been. I think it might have been the same year. That was a big-time hire by the 49ers. This year, you don't have any candidates like that. There is nobody that I look at, and I'm like, that guy's a can't-miss. I'm, I'm pretty confident he's going to be a good head coach. There's just not anybody like that on this list. Yeah, I mean, there's two guys that I would look at. Peterson was one of them, and I'm just going off of past experience. And, I mean, the guy won a Super Bowl with mm-hmm. Nick Foles. So, I mean, it tells me that the guy at least can coach. The other one is Byron Leftwich, and I have some hesitancy there just because he's coaching Tom Brady, and I, he wasn't there with Jameis Winston, was he? He was last I think year. Was the first year, or the final year. So, so, two years ago. so that one I'm a little hesitant with with Winston, but he'd be the only one I would consider because you got a young guy who's pretty creative with his offense, and a lot of people are talking about him. You put him on a Jacksonville team with Trevor Lawrence, and when you get some health, you have some good weapons maybe he can get something done, but you'd have to surround him with a lot of good veterans in terms of coordinators. Yeah, to me on this list, I would probably go with Caldwell, but then again, you have to go with the coordinators because he's a defensive-minded yeah, I, coach. Caldwell's an offensive guy. I oh, just, is he? I thought he was defense. I just don't like Caldwell. Coach. I mean, I understand it's Detroit, and nobody can do anything with Detroit, but I just don't like the idea of that. I mean, he was successful there. He he got them to like 9-7. and seven. He's... He's not an exciting hire, but he was better in in Detroit than I think people give him credit for. He went nine and seven, nine and seven, eleven and five, and in his time in Indianapolis, he was fourteen and two and ten and six. It just he's just boring. <laughs> like, I I know that's a weird thing to say about a head coaching candidate, but that's the reality with him. He's also and 
this is the quiet part nobody say will, will say out loud. He's 66. You're hiring a, a much older gentleman to be your head coach. So I, I think the way that things are trending right now in the league, it just seems unlikely that somebody would go that route, especially a team like Jacksonville, where you've got such a young quarterback and you probably want to pair him with your next head coach. I just look at this list and, for example, the Chicago Bears. I think they should fire Matt Nagy. I don't think he's the right guy for that job. Who on this list is? Like, who, who do you think you look at and you say they're definitively better than what we have right now? If you're the Denver Broncos, I'm not firing Vicky Fangio to hire one of these guys. Sometimes you have to look at your guy compared to what's available to that guy. I'm not really excited about any of these. If I'm a fan, let me put it a different way. If I'm a fan of one of these teams that's considering firing my head coach, none of these guys that my team would hire gets me excited. And you don't winning the press conference is not something that is uh, what should ultimately determine whether or not you fire your coach. But I do think the excitement level matters. And none of these guys are super exciting. Here's the thing, though. you got to do something because, I mean, obviously you don't have a head coach and you can't do another year of an interim head coach with Trevor Lawrence. Like, you got to bring somebody in. Who oh, can no, instill. the Jags had to. The no, J- I'm saying they got to hire somebody this season and, and they have to, like, make the commitment to this is the guy. Well, Be- yeah. I just don't think. But what I'm saying is I don't think you could bring somebody in and say, well, he's good temporarily until we can find the next head coach. I'm not I'm not talking about the Jaguars. I'm saying the other teams that have not oh, fired gotcha. their head coaches yet. So like Pete Carroll and the Seahawks, right? We've talked about they should rebuild. They should they should fire Pete Carroll and go with somebody else. I believe that to be true in theory. OK, we fire Pete Carroll. We move on from Russell Wilson. And now we're behind one of these guys. And, you know, when you, you commit to a coach. Typically, it's at least a three-year period that you're committing to that guy. Are you ready to commit to any of these guys for the next three years for sure that you're like, I think this guy's going to be better than Pete Carroll over the next three seasons? I'm just not sure I do. And so if I'm the Seahawks, I'm not sure I'm moving on from my guy. If I'm the Broncos, I'm definitely not moving on from my current head coach. If I'm the Vikings, Alex, I know we've talked a lot about Mike Zimmer. Are these guys for sure better than Mike Zimmer in that situation? I, I don't know. But normally I can point to at least one, typically two or three guys on the market that I think are upgrades compared to the bottom of the barrel coaches around the league. This is the rare year where I don't know if that's the case. And that would, if I'm one of these owners, it would give me pause about firing my head coach this offseason. Normally I lean towards change this offseason. I think I would lean towards stability. Why is Eric Bieniemy not on this list? I don't know. I really just don't understand this. Like, do they feel like he can't be a head coach because his success is Patrick Mahomes? Or with Reed. Or with Reed. But I don't understand why that th- same thing is not true of Byron Leftwich. Like, why wouldn't you give Eric Bieniemy a chance over bringing back Jim Caldwell? I don't that, know. I just don't understand that. Um, I I think Eric Bieniemy might have missed his window. I hope that's not the case. I think he's deserving of getting a head coaching opportunity. I wonder, I wonder if he'll get a big look in uh, Chicago. Cause I don't think they can go with another Kansas yeah. City assistant. I guess that's true. Cause in all, that's in all reality, you know who makes the most sense in Chicago if they were to do this? I think Kellen Moore. Pete Carroll. Why? Because he's a defense first guy. He's a run guy. Yeah, but isn't I, that I, want somebody, I want somebody to pair with my quarterback. I, I just got Justin. But Justin isn't Fields. Justin Fields a younger Russell Wilson they're hoping? But Russell Wilson isn't working right now. With but he Pete worked Carroll. for him. Yeah, I, I think the game's just passed him by. I, I wouldn't go that route. I, I think Kellen Moore will go to Jacksonville, or he's that hot offensive coordinator, very young. He will be viewed, to, in my opinion, and I don't think it's fair to say this, 
but he'll be viewed as the Shanahan or McVay of this this coaching hire. And if I'm a team and I have a young quarterback, it's what the Rams did with uh, McVay. They brought him in with a very young Jared Goff. I would expect either the Bears or Jacksonville to hire Kellen Moore. That's my guess. I could see it. I mean, he's the only exciting name on this list. I, I I would go Doug Peterson just because I've seen it. It's it's been proven he's been a good head coach before. See, I think Leftwich is more more exciting than Kellen Moore. But what I don't know if Byron Leftwich is a good coach. Like I, I I'm saying that in all I seriousness. Think, I, don't I have think no idea. I don't think Kellen Moore's a good coach. Moore falls away from the run too often. Yeah. I mean, I think they're both in the same category. At least with Byron Leftwich, we've seen some creativity with At them. least I know it's Kellen Moore's offense. I think I know what I'm getting with Kellen Moore. And there are faults with that, but the faults that I've got with Kellen Moore falling away from the run too often, I have the same issues with Andy Reid. Andy Reid's been pretty good. And I'm not saying that Kellen Moore's going to be the next Andy Reid. I'm just saying if that's the issue with him, I think we can figure that out down the road. Byron Leftwich, I have no idea what his philosophies are because his offense right now is Tom Brady. And his offense, by the way, is Bruce Arians. How much of it is him versus how much of it is Tom Brady and Bruce Arians? And I think that's the same thing that Eric Bieniemy is probably running into is, okay, so you're the uh, the offensive coordinator, but are you actually calling the plays? How much of this offense is actually yours? And oh, by the way, you've got Travis Kelsey, Patrick Mahomes, and Tyreek Hill. How's that going to look when you've got Trevor Lawrence, LaVisca Chenault, and James Robinson? It's going to be the same offense that we're running down there? I I just don't know. So it's a weird offseason for coaching changes. Somebody says, what about Marvin Lewis? I would consider it. That I mean, how old is Marvin Lewis at this point? He's in his 60s. 63. If you're considering um, Jim Caldwell, I would consider Marvin Lewis. I mean, he he was a really successful head coach at Cincinnati. He's now a special advisor down at Arizona State. I, I would at least give that consideration. He's every bit as intriguing to me as any of these other names on this list, not named Doug Peterson for my money. It's it's a strange offseason to need a head coach, man. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Questions and answers coming up next. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's VK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Let's start out with this one. I've got a question for Alex Ferrario. So ESPN.com did their rankings of the best winter classic games. Uh, since the game started, what, 15 years ago yeah, now? 2008, 2009, one of those two. And they had the St. Louis Blues versus the Chicago Blackhawks game as the second worst winter classic wow. since things began. Alex, does that make you upset? <laughs> um, Not as upset as you think it would make me. I mean, people know me as the ultimate homer for this Blues team, but... I mean, I went through this list and I was looking at some of these games. It's really hard to top some of these. And look, I thought the Blues and Blackhawks, like, that was incredible. Bush Stadium, rivalry, the alumni game was incredible. The atmosphere was awesome. But, like, I'm going through this list. Like, the number one, there's no topping that. That 2014 game between Toronto and Detroit, that went to a shootout. And that was Detroit team that had Dotsuk and then had Zetterberg that had Franzen. Tyler Bozak got the game winner in a shootout. That one was fun. The second one, the Pittsburgh and Buffalo Sabres, Sidney Crosby. It was snowing on that one. I, I think if I were to go through this list and re reschedule them, not reschedule them, redraft them, 
I would have the Blues top 10. Like, I wouldn't have them second worst. I'd probably have them at eight because I think that eight seed that Washington-Pittsburgh won on Heinz Field was good, but the environment wasn't the way that the Blues game was at Bush Stadium. So I would have them probably ranked eighth, but, I mean, Wyshynski kind of nailed it because the top three, there's no touching those. Yeah, and he makes a good point, too, on the reason for this one being so low is because let's not forget... It wasn't even on January 1st. It was like January 2nd, January 3rd. It got kind of bumped back because they did. I don't remember why. They, I guess it was the centennial year. Was that what it was? The 100th year for the NHL. Wasn't it? It was the 50th anniversary for the Blues, too. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. It, but they did a game before that where it was Red Wings and Maple Leafs. And it took away from the Winter Classic because it was outdoors. But it was a day before the Winter yeah. Classic. And it took away from it. Yeah. I mean, there's just there were so many great games like. Boston and Pittsburgh. I mean, you had Pittsburgh and Buffalo. That was Ryan Miller's show for the Buffalo Sabres. Like, between the atmosphere, and that's how Wyshynski kind of graded these, was environment, hype, the actual game. The game itself for the Blues, man, there's a there's only a couple that I would put ahead of them because you added a tie game going into the second per- or third period, and Vladdy ran away with it, and the environment was there, but I don't know if the hype was there as much as some of those other ones. A but hot take? Let's go back to Lake Tahoe. I'm done with the stadiums. No, I'm not doing a one that we have to keep delaying it. They had like a three-hour delay at that one yeah. because the sun was melting the we'll, ice. We'll play it at night this time. Okay. Stupid. The, I, I love the Winter Classic. I, I so don't think fun. you need to change it at all. I, I'm good with the way that they're doing it. The only thing that they might have to do is play it in Phoenix. Change, change this one. Uh, in terms of the date, because it's going to be freezing cold. Doesn't get any warmer over the next couple of weeks oh, in Minnesota. are still going shirtless. No chance. $1,000 is the Air Comfort Service text we'll line pay you. for questions and answers <laughs> from the 618. Guys, do you think that it would make sense to have the All-Star game outside one year? I think so. And, and I don't know how this would happen because it's like impossible to do. But like have it in Vegas outside. I don't know how you would do it. I don't know how you would do it. I mean, they played an outdoor game in L.A. Yeah, but I mean, I I don't I don't know. Maybe there'd be a way to do this. But like if you were like they're doing it in Vegas this year, cooler. It's 43 degrees right now in Las Vegas. And I mean, they just bought this new system to keep the ice cool for outdoor games because of what happened last year. The all-star game is going to be in Vegas this year. And I guarantee you that will be probably one of the most attended all-star games in NHL history. And on top of it, it's going to be highly viewed because it's in Vegas. They're going to have to do it in Vegas every year for the excitement that's going to be in it. But if you were to play it outside, like, I don't know, in front of the Bellagio on that. Oh, with with the water show in the background. Tell me how incredible that would be or do it like next to the Hoover Dam. That would be incredible. I don't know how you do it, but that would be the way to do it. Yeah, I think that'd be awesome. Do it outside. I, I would. The first year I would want to do it, I'd probably want to do it in one of the cities with the original six, though. Boston, Montreal, Toronto. Just because that's kind yeah. of the story of the NHL. And then the next year, if you wanted to do it outside, like in Vegas, like you're talking about, then I'm all for it. They just, I feel like you should just have the All-Star game in Vegas every year. That's in exactly. all seriousness. Well, Joey and I have talked about this in the past. Like, the NHL players don't want to go to the All-Star game because... It, they they want to go on vacation. They want to sure. go to warmer weather. They want to enjoy their three they don't days want to off. Go to an All Star game in Montreal, where it's probably negative twenty. There's don't, no way they don't want to go to an All Star game in Winnipeg, unfortunately. But if you go every year to Vegas, like the Pro Bowl goes to Hawaii every year, well, used to used to go every year. People are going to go no matter what. You got to make it entertaining, and if you go to Vegas, they're going to go. Yeah, and it becomes a vacation for fans too. Yeah, like you you can you know. 
uh, for Christmas, I could get Alex. I wouldn't because I can't afford to do this. Maybe if we. I don't know. You got a Peloton in your house. <laughs> True. Um, I could get Alex tickets to the 2023 All-Star Game in Las Vegas, right? Uh, that'd be a really cool thing. So I, yeah. I do think that's something that um, the NHL should consider, whether it's outside or not. I don't care. Play the game inside at their arena, T-Mobile Arena, every every year if you want to. Vegas should, in my opinion, be the location for the All-Star Game in the NHL. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line for questions and answers. Final one here from the 314. Alex, can Barbashev be activated for tonight's game with the new five-day five day quarantine period? So essentially he could because he was placed on it on the 23rd. And All I mean, right. he could have been activated yesterday. And that's where I'm, I don't think so. I mean, he could be, but I don't think but one, he hasn't skated. And if he could have been activated, he would have been on the ice yesterday with the team because he would have had a negative test. And I know they just instituted this rule now, but teams knew ahead of time. Um, the fact that he didn't skate today with the guys and James Neal did tells me that he either didn't have a negative test or he's not asymptomatic. So I would, I would bet you that he's not available in this one and he won't be activated. And I just did the math on this during the break. Unless he tests negative between now and the Winter Classic, he's not eligible to come out of the new rules until January 2nd because asymptomatic and a negative test means you could come out of it. If not both of those, you're in it for 10 days. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll talk to Chris Kerber about the return of a number of blues coming up in 10 minutes. But next, when Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina retire, Who's going to be your favorite Cardinals player remaining on the roster? 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. We'll get into that coming up next on 101 ESPN. They are St. Louis. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in 10 minutes, we'll talk with the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, leading into tonight's game between the Blues and the Oilers. You'll hear pregame coverage with Alex Ferrario for that one coming up tonight at 630 right here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. But Alex, I saw this question uh, last night on Twitter. I, I really thought it was interesting. So I wanted to get your guys thoughts on this. And 65780 is the air comfort service text sign uh, to get involved in the show. A gentleman that goes by Spittin' Facts STL tweeted this oh, out. That's my burner account. Who would be your favorite Cardinals player after Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright retire? I, I love it because I do think there are a lot of different options, and I don't think there's anybody that stands out as the obvious answer to this question. This is a tr trick question, none of them, because they're both going to continue to play until they die. Fair, but if you had to choose, if I told you right now, hey, Alex, next year, Waino and Yadi have both retired. And this current Cardinals roster is at least similar. We don't know who they're going to add in the offseason, but it's similar. Who would be of the current roster your favorite player going into 2022? Uh, you probably should ask this question to T-Bone because mine has already been solidified, and it was solidified two years ago when Mr. 95% became Mr. 100%, Nolan Arenado. He made me the smartest man ever. So, T-Bone, who would your favorite Cardinal be? Mine's number 28. I think I might go with Bro Neal. I'm all in. Just because he's 
We Six have great, hours with the boys. He never said that. You're ruining his quote book. <laughs> but he does have quotable moments. To go moments. back to back with the boys. Yeah. Well, when you go back to back with the boys, you're going to sell you with the boys. He, he has quotable moments like that. He's just a beast. I'm pretty sure he could bench press me. And he has he the could. pop to where he There's can, no doubt yeah. that he could Why bench would press you, you. You're like 80 pounds. Why would you think he's pretty sure? He can hit 40 home runs. He could be a guy that could steal 20 to 30 bags. Uh, to me, he's like the all-around player that St. Louis Cardinals fans have been dreaming about so i i think tyler o'neill would be the guy for me it's so interesting because i went through like four different people last year that were my favorites yeah what are you talking about it's bader at one point in time my favorite player to watch was tommy edmund get the (laughs) hell out of here i decided that he was a utility infielder and then i was in on extending him again i i went through a roller coaster of emotions and now you're at the point with tommy edmund like well i can't hit righty so he shouldn't play no i just don't think he should lead off i think he should be your everyday second baseman and he should be batting eighth or ninth against uh right-handed pitching I don't think that Paul... So Paul Goldschmidt has... I thought you were about to say Paul Young. I was going to be like, well... No, 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 no. What happened? Paul Goldschmidt has the production to be a guy that you really love. I, I would understand if you're somebody that really enjoys watching Paul Goldschmidt play. He's just not particularly entertaining. Like he's not, fun? He's not fun? He's not all that interesting. It, it's well, kind you've of... never hung out with him. It's kind of like Tim Duncan. I don't know that I ever heard anybody say to me, other than Spurs fans specifically, Tim Duncan is my favorite basketball player. I never said that. For his entire career, he was one of the, conservatively speaking, three to five best players in the league. Every year that he was in the league, he was one of the three to five best players in the league. He was never anybody's favorite player unless you were a Spurs fan. And I feel that way kind of about Paul Goldschmidt. I I think my answer might be Harrison Bader. (laughs) I think he might be my favorite Cardinal. Yikes. This doesn't surprise me. Is that me. fair? I mean, I don't know how anybody... I know that I just have different sensibilities. It. I don't know how anybody could watch him defensively and say to themselves, I don't enjoy watching that. The the athleticism, the grace, the they used to have those five-star catches. I don't know where this went. It like disappeared all of a sudden in baseball, but they would always show like, hey, that was a five-star catch. I can't imagine there was anybody in baseball last year, despite him only playing 100 games, that had more five-star catchers than Harrison Bader. He gets to everything. And when he wasn't out there, you could tell a significant difference in what their defense was. I think Harrison Bader is my favorite Cardinal whenever those two guys retired. That doesn't mean he's the best. That is a very different conversation. If we're talking best Cardinals after those guys retire, that's a different conversation entirely. I think Favorite, though? I think it's Harrison Bader for me. I think you're right there. I mean, look, I think a lot of people are going to be on board with that. They're always going to be judging the offense from Harrison Bader, but so many people fell in love with Jim Edmonds because of his defense, because of what he did in the outfield. I mean, my aunt is obsessed with Jim Edmonds because of how good he was defensively. So uh, Harrison Bader, like it or not, is basically Jim Edmonds defensively, and it's hard not to get on board with something like that. Yeah, I I mean, I enjoy watching Harrison Bader's defense. The thing for me that kind of separates Bader and O'Neal is just the power, and I think that's what came with Edmonds too, was the defense, and he was a guy that could put up the 30 home run type potential, and and that's where I think O'Neal will kind of win over the fan base when Yachty and Wayno retire is because he's kind of that guy. He can hit the home runs. He can play the gold glove defense. He's fast as hell. That's, and maybe that's kind of where I, that's why I enjoy him because he's able on all three facets. If Bader, Bader's good at the plate, he just doesn't have the same pop as O'Neill does. Let's, let's look into the future here. Let's go five years down the road. Who do you think is going to be the favorite out of these young guys up and coming? Cause you got Jordan, Jordan Walker. Walker. You think so? Yeah. 
Part of me wonders if people are going to fall in love with Matthew Libator. You guys interviewed Jordan Walker when I was out one time. We did that on purpose. We did that on purpose. I listened to the interview. Jordan Walker is super engaging in a way that Cardinals fans are going to love his personality. Mm -hmm. If he is the player that everybody, not just the Cardinals, this this is the rare Cardinals prospect that nationally people are every bit as high on him as they are locally. Normally, it's locally you hear about it, and nationally they're like, yeah, but here's the thing that he doesn't do well. Uh, this That's not the case with Jordan Walker. There is nobody saying to slow down, pump the brakes on what Jordan Walker can be. Everybody thinks he's going to be a star. So I think five years from now, Jordan Walker is probably your favorite player, unless Nolan Arenado is still playing at a really high level, which is possible, but I would say probably Jordan Walker is the guy. That's yeah. who I'd go with, too, just because of the numbers we're seeing what he was able to do at Palm Beach, where they have the those metrics, I mean, he's just hitting the ball incredibly hard. He's got the pop. He can play defense, it sounds like. To your point on Libertor, I mean, I'm, I'm high on Matthew Libertor. I think the reason, though, that there's going to be, I don't even want to call it baggage, but he was a part of the Randy Rosarina trade. Yeah, I don't so think for that... people to like him, I think he's going to have to like win a Cy Young. I also to get think to it's point. really, like, See, this I've... is part of what makes it so special, what Wayno has become. I think it's hard to be a pitcher that's the favorite player for somebody. But see, I don't think he has to win a Cy Young to get people to fall in love with him. I I think, like it or not, people's frustration with Jack Flaherty, they're going to be looking for that next guy because everyone's assumed he's gone. And I I think Matthew Libator is going to take that over the moment he becomes an everyday starter in that rotation. It's just so hard to be that. Got to be a big game time performer. you, You have to win a World Series. That's what it takes. I mean, you look back at the Cardinals pitchers that have been at that level. But people loved Carp before he won a World Series. Yeah, but Car- Carp was Young so conversation. and he was such a special competitor. And I'm not saying that. I'm not trying to demean what you're what you should expect from Matthew Libertor, but Carp was like compared to all baseball players, just at a different level of fire and intimidation when he was out there on the mound. I mean, it was. It's not the same level, but it was like watching Bob Gibson in some ways. It was it was the modern day version of that. I think that's a, a fiery competitor. I think that's a good place to be though, because I, I think to answer this question that we started with of who the the next favorite's going to be for fans, you could pick anybody you want, but I don't think anybody's going to be on the level of Yachty and Wayno until they win a World Series. Hundred percent. Everyone on this team is basically on red alert until they win a World Series because nobody will get to that fandom level until they do that. It, it's also those guys. When do you think they reached the pinnacle of what they are right now in terms of fan love and admiration? I think Yachty got it the moment he hit that home run against the Mets in the playoffs. I think it's whenever you come up with that big moment. And Wayno got it when he got the final out in the in the World Series. Because like David Freeze never really was. I, I don't. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't remember him being a fan favorite until that 11 run. Oh sure, yeah, yeah. but I mean because his no, his what, production was at a different level too. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying is it comes down to that big playoff moment. I was gonna go with something else. I think it was when when Albert left because those guys stayed. Like Albert left and he became because I think for a lot of people Albert was their favorite player through that 06 and the early 2000s runs all the way through 2011, and then when Albert left. 
these were the guys that embraced St. Louis and made it home, not just for part of their careers, but they didn't chase the money elsewhere. They decided to stay here in St. Louis. I think that became a part of the story. Maybe I'm reading too much into that. I, but I, I think you're on to something yeah. there. The other thing with Yachty, too, is I think Yachty, people fell in love with Yachty after that Johnny Cueto moment against the Cincinnati Reds. For sure. Like, I think that was the moment that, because Brandon Phillips was kind of poo-pooing on St. Louis at the time, he stepped into the batter's box and Yachty just unloaded. I think that's when people really fell in love with Yachty, too. And I think it, I don't remember when Yachty signed the contract extension, but I do remember when Pujols left for the Angels, there had been some rumors or some just stuff been throwing out there that, hey, Yachty, maybe he goes to the Angels to re-up with Pujols. And then I think whenever it was he signed that extension, I want to say it was like 2013 that he signed it. I think that's when it really solidified him as one of the favorites here in St. Louis. Signed a five-year, $75 million contract extension in 2012, February of 2012. And it's funny, too, because you can fall in love with both of them individually, but the moment people fell in love with both of them together, and that's how I think people view it, are the celebrations that they had after the 2006 World Series and then, of course, you know, leading throughout the rest of their career. Like, I think when you say the name, people fall in love with them together rather than individually. Yeah, I, I think that's totally fair. And I, I don't know that we're going to see something like that, um, at least in the near future, just because of how special those two were and the era that they played here in St. Louis. I, I don't know if we're going to see a 2004 through 2011, it's really hard to have that level of consistent success in baseball. Yeah. And those guys were right in their primes in that stretch. So I don't know that we'll see another duo like that with the Cardinals uh, in the in the immediate future. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. In 15 minutes, which NFL players have improved their standing among their peers the most this season? For example, Joe Burrow, how much has he jumped from where we thought he was in terms of the best quarterbacks in the league to where we view him right now? We'll get into that coming up at 1230. But next, Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, talks to us ahead of the Blues getting back on the ice tonight against the Oilers. What's he expect from the guys that are returning to the ice for the first time in a while? We'll ask Kerbs next on 101 ESPN. Time now for Curbside with the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber. Brought to you by Slyman Brothers. Offering everyday low prices, expert advice, and free delivery. Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Very happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to be joined by Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues. He is back on the call for Blues versus Oilers tonight. Alex has your pregame coverage beginning at 630 right here on 101 ESPN. Curbs, always appreciate the time, man. I know you're excited to be back on the call tonight for the Edmonton game, but I got to ask you about the Winter Classic because uh, we've been talking about this over the last few days. I told these boys, these guys in the studio with me, I would not go there even if you paid me to be in attendance for a game where the high is supposed to be negative one that day. And I think when you guys are on the call, it's going to be like negative 10 or negative 15. Are you excited for that to be outside? I can't wait. <laughs> I, it's such a cool. It, it, listen, well, well, a couple things. One, our broadcast position as of this morning was uh, was right down at ice level, which Honestly, it's not a great broadcast position because there's certain parts of the ice you can't see when you're right on the glass, but we, we, we know how to get by. So that experience in and of itself, you know, I, I think is going to be exciting to see, you know, but 
the league did call this morning and they're thinking it boots up on the 200 level because one of the concerns they have is, frankly, you know, they don't know how some of this technical equipment is going to react to minus 15-degree hit, much less, you know, your skin or other things like that. So um, uh, we'll see. I think it, I think in all likelihood uh, they're going to move us back up into a booth, which is fine. It's where kind of how we did the classic here at Bush Stadium. But I, honestly, Brandon, I, I can tell you, anybody gets a chance to go to this, you bundle you yourself up and you go and you have fun because – the sights are cool. It, it was so much fun at Bush Stadium to do it in another place. And when you talk to a guy like Brandon Saad, who's been in four outdoor games, and and uh, Tyler Bozak's been in three, several of these guys have been in two, they're still excited to play in it because of the unique aspect of it. So, yeah, absolutely I'm excited about it and, and can't wait. And I, don't, I, I went to a buddy's house today, Matt Roth, good buddy of mine. He's a, he's a big hunter, and I – about his heated vest, battery-heated socks. So, like, I figure, I figure I'll be out there in minus 10 degree weather if we do stay down at ice level, and uh, I'll be the only guy sweating. <laughs> I respect it. I I hope you guys end up staying warm uh, for throughout the game. Curbs, is there any any concern right now from what you understand of them potentially either postponing or mo- moving the game at all? No, uh, not 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 that I know of. Uh, they're not going to do it unless that something get, gets to the point where it's too dangerous. Now, I guess one concern, you know, one of the reasons they put this game at six o'clock originally is normally they'll the TV window. Number one, that's important, but weather issues, as we've seen, can be quite a problem. And as we saw with the outdoor game last season that were done in Lake Tahoe, it wasn't actually cold or rain that's a problem. It's the sun. And so they decided, we're not going to mess with any of that. We're going to make this one at 6 o'clock. That way our TV partners on both U.S. and Canada and around the world can can plan on that. That results now as you've got uh, some colder weather coming in. And, you know, the ice, believe it or not, the ice can react very differently at minus 10 than it would at, at 25. And so ice conditions could become a factor, something they'll have to contend with. But I haven't heard anything so far about any potential delay or weather issue creating a problem for any type of uh, uh, postponement. Curbs, let's talk about this one tonight because the Blues get back on the ice for the first time since that Winnipeg Jets game. You already have the excitement of Blues and Oilers, which in my opinion was one of the best games played so far this season between our four the Blues. But then on top of it, you get the excitement of Thomas Cairo uh, getting back into the lineup. Uh, what are you expecting from this one tonight for the long delay of games for both of these teams? Alex, I honestly go into this game with no expectations. If you watch the games last night and you see Vegas put six up on Los Angeles and you look at that San Jose game that goes 7-7, seven, seven, you're like, okay, goalies are optional and defenses be damned, right? <laughs> so um, I, I think when you talk about the Blues being off for 10 days and Edmonton being off for 11, I think some rust is concerned on both ends. Now you have the fact that you're putting three guys in the lineup for the Blues that weren't in the lineup last time they played on top of that all. And, and then I, I add, I, frankly, I add the question mark of, I know when you put Thomas and Cairo back in the lineup, you know, that, that's, you, you're, you just immensely helped the skill level of your team. But this team was playing really well as a team. So there, there's going to be some adjustments from what we saw in the last couple of weeks 
leading into now and then how it's going to play. And, and then I talked to Craig Berube about it this morning, too, and really the big thing he said right off the bat, experience tells you when you've had a layoff like this, keep it simple, play smart hockey. Don't put yourself in a bad spot where you're chasing a play because you tried to make an extra play at a blue line when your hands aren't ready or something just isn't quite there. And so that, I think, is the key for, you know, for this hockey team tonight is to keep it simple early. And then the other thing is the one positive thing, you know that you know you're going to have to be sharp because if you, don't, if you aren't ready to go and you're not sharp right off the bat, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl may, may put you down for nothing 10 minutes into the hockey game. So I, I think the fact that you've got to be sharp knowing who your opponent is is a real important piece for tonight, too. The voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, joining us here on BK and Ferrario. Uh, Kerbs, I want to read this quote that Craig Berube said earlier today about adding David Perron, Jordan Cairo, and Robert Thomas back into the lineup. Three guys that I know we're all excited to see back out there. He said, we're bringing back a lot of skill in our lineup for sure. The power play, all the situational stuff from an offensive standpoint, you're bringing back a lot of goals and points. But we can't lose our focus on the work ethic and the type of game that we need to play, end quote. That was Craig Berube earlier today uh, to, when asked by the media about getting those three back in particular. Uh, Curbs, he said something similar to this yesterday as well about how, hey, when, when we had the AHL players up, we played a specific style and we don't want to lose that, even though we do, yes, of course, have more talented players returning to the ice. How much of a concern is that in your mind of them losing the style that made them so successful over the last two to three weeks? Well, that, that, that's exactly what I was getting to with with some of the previous comment. You're getting you're getting more skilled guys back in the lineup, but are you a better team? Do you, do you play the right team game with those guys in the lineup? And and frankly, it's not about Thomas or Kairou or David Perron. Uh, you could put anybody, you could use that nameplate for anybody. You know, is, is are you going to play a certain way? This team started to really, if, if you look at it, develop an identity, didn't they? They started to play that, that kind of straightforward game again, go right to the net, uh, the way Logan Brown was holding the puck. You know, Logan Brown still has to hold that puck down along those end boards and wait for his opportunity to get to the front of the net. He can't try to change that and become more of that quick play finesse player you know, because you're on, you know, the, the skill level of the team around him is different right now. And then that's going to be the challenge. I think, I, I truly think, Brandon, one of the great question marks for the St. Louis Blues over the next, say, let's just say 10 games, assuming you continue to stay healthy and, and, and you, don't get, you, you don't get hit by COVID situations again. I think one of the great questions is how do you shape this team knowing what you saw in the last few weeks with all those guys out and how the style you needed with some of those AHL guys versus how this team plays when you've got more skill. Are you better with, with a certain guy in the lineup? You know, Are you better with Logan Brown in, in the lineup versus uh, a Clem Costin? Different things like that. That all has to play a role in this, and those are decisions that Doug Armstrong, Al McKinnis, Craig Berube, and the coaching staff and all are going to have to make. But I, it, it's Craig Berube's absolutely right. And, and, and they found a way to play successful hockey. Can they do it while adding that skill? That remains to be seen. I think it's a big question mark. Curbs, final one from me, um, and I'm not sure if there's any update on this, but it sounds like Sunquist and Shen won't be available in this one tonight, which means they're going to probably have to call somebody up from the AHL. Uh, any guesses on who you think could be the guy that j- joins the team, at least for this game tonight? Well, I mean, okay, so... 
most educated guess to me would be a guy like an Alexei Toropchenko because he was the last guy called up. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know if they go down there and they and they look for, you know, for for somebody else at this moment. Uh, he was a guy that was just part of some of the recent success you had. You know exactly what you had there, so he could be, you know, I think one of the quick easy call-ups. And then, you know, have they decided it? And I don't think anything's been announced. But is there another guy or two that will call up to, to the taxi squad? Um, and and that I don't know yet. But to me, it feels like if if one of those guys couldn't go and you needed a forward. To me, you're looking at a Toropchenko, uh, the other guy that has been called up that for some reason you needed a defenseman, uh, and, and Wallman is ready to go, it looks like, but if you needed a defenseman, that's a Callie Rosen-type player. So I don't, I don't think you need to go too much deeper than that. But then again, you know, this team also has a responsibility to make sure that we keep some, some, uh, that team going down there in Springfield too. So that all plays a role in some of these call-ups. He's Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris Kerber. You can also hear him tonight, Blues versus Oilers, as the Blues are back in action on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. Pre-game with Alex at 6.30, puck drop coming up at 7.30. Kerbs, looking forward to hearing you on the call. Have yourself a happy new year, and we'll talk with you again next week, my man. Brandon, you'd love being out in that cold after no, you I would experienced not. it, brother. Nope. Curbs, nope. I'd be more concerned. <laughs> no, I would not. Curbs, I'd be more concerned. And wouldn't you be concerned for, like, your eyebrow hair or your beard that that turns into, like, icicles? Uh, I got more than enough of that to break off and still not look bald in those two departments, brother. <laughs> Just on the top of the head. Curbs, talk with you again soon, my man. All right, guys. Have a good one. You got it. That's Chris Kerber joining us here on 101 ESPN. Listen, man, if it was 20 degrees, I'd go. I'd be thrilled to go. It'd be an opportunity of a lifetime. Negative 15? Six o'clock at night, sundown. Mm-mm. I'm good. Tell I'll be me, watching tell that me one if, on my couch with a couple of cold ones. I am good to go at home. Tell man. me if you're thinking this, that. T-Bone. <laughs> Wimp. That's what I'm thinking. That's what hey, everybody should be thinking. Me, it's reasonable. Hey, That's I'm how I feel. $1,000 and I'm going shirtless. No. no, you'd die, so then we wouldn't have to pay you. No, no, yeah, you're not coming it. home. Yeah, you're not coming home. So that's my thousand dollars. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll dive into the junk drawer here in about 15 minutes or so. But next, which NFL players have improved their standing the most this season? We'll tell you next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to more of it. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. We're carrying coming up. Yeah, we're about getting, we got the pinstripe bowl and uh, the cheese bowl. The cheese bowl is my second favorite behind the Jimmy Kimmel bowl. Who's in the cheese bowl? Cle- oh, Clemson and Idaho State. No, Iowa State. That's Iowa. who it is. Not Idaho, Idaho State. State. Idaho State. Does man. Idaho have a football team? Idaho does. I can't imagine. There may be an Idaho oh, State. Sure there's, there's an, an Iowa State. State. There's an Iowa. There's, there's an Iowa. Idaho State. All right, I'm looking it up. Idaho State football. Yeah, I can't, they, they are definitely yeah, not they're the Bengals. They're the Bengals. The Big Sky Conference and D1 they, football. They are D1. <laughs> I had no idea Idaho State had a Do we uh, want to know what they did this year? Team. I can't yeah, imagine yeah, yeah. it well. How'd they do? Okay, hold on. Let me I, double check I bet on they the were good. Idaho State. I'll say average. Uh, so the last, th- they scored 168 points. Pretty good. And their opponents they scored were 375. And they were 4-7. and seven. 
Not good. Idaho State, not and a great football team. Their peak war was 42. Okay, enough of that. What about so, their zip plus? On the 44. NFL side nice. of things, let's talk about uh, some of the players that improved their standing among their peers the most this year. What I mean by that is, like, for example, Joe Burrow. I, I think coming into the year, people viewed him as, could he be a top 10 type of a quarterback? That That felt at least in play for him, but... I don't know that he had completely secured his spot there after the shortened season tearing his ACL last year. He is officially there at a minimum this year. He's definitely a top 10 quarterback. I I think he might be the guy that has raised his stock compared to his peers more than anybody else so far this year in the NFL. If you have today a top five quarterbacks that includes Mahomes, Rodgers, Brady, throw whoever else you want to into this mix and Joe Burrow. I think that's a totally reasonable list of the top five quarterbacks in the league right now. And before the season, if you would have said that to me, I would have said not you're probably a little higher on Burrow than I would like. Yeah, Get up had the top. I think it was Lewis Riddick or it was Orlovsky that had the mm. top five quarterbacks right now. And I don't think Joe Burrow was on that list. A- am I mistaking on mistaken on that? I don't know. I don't know what his list was. Okay. Well, thanks for paying close attention <laughs> uh, to this. Jeff Saturday put out his top five, and he said Rodgers, Brady, Mahomes, Allen, and Burrow. So I'm, also, totally I'm on board with that one, and I do think that you're trending in the direction of him being one of the top quarter, top young quarterbacks in the, NA, in the NFL. Um, I, I'm really curious to see what the next season looks like for Cincinnati because this was a massive step forward uh, with him, and this is a team that, I don't know, a couple pieces away from contending for a Super Bowl? Is that too far-fetched to say? No. I mean, they're in the playoff mix right now, and if they beat the Chiefs on Sunday, I think you'll have to take them seriously as a legit threat in the if AFC. they would have drafted a left tackle this past year, might be talking about it right hey, now. They might be able to get it done this year. Speaking of that, I actually think Jamar Chase is another guy that I would throw into this mix. Jamar Chase coming into the season, we, just, we had no idea what to expect out of him. I think he's a top-10 receiver in the league right now. Are are there 10 receivers you'd rather have on your team over the next five years than Jamar Chase? Because there's not for me. I I would have to put him up there. So uh, Burrow and Chase are two guys that for me, I I think raise their game compared to expectations more than just about anybody else. The other one that I would throw into this list is Jonathan Taylor. If you're looking at running backs, we came into the year. uh, We all knew he was talented and he had been a, a really productive player for the Colts last year. You're going to go into fantasy drafts next year. He's going to be the number one overall pick. Can't imagine taking anybody else over him. Maybe other than Derrick Henry, but there's injury concerns that come with that. So I I think Leonard, uh, Jonathan Taylor is probably going to be your number one pick next year in fantasy. And for good reason. Yeah, C.D. Lamb's another one. And I know a lot of people were pretty high on him coming into this season. But, I mean, he's another one right now that I feel like is Jamar Chase level to where you're going to be drafting him pretty high for fantasy the next season. And he's emerging into a top receiver in the game, kind of like what AJ Brown and DK Metcalf did the last couple of seasons. Would you put Waddle up there? The problem, the quarterback's the problem. I think Waddle's been exactly what I expected him to be so far. Waddle's kind of like Devonta Smith, Devonte Smith from Philly. I forgot about Devonte Smith. And I think it's more of a quarterback issue for those two guys. You just don't have the guy that you trust. Maybe two is going to get there next year, but those two guys just have suffered. Like if you put C.D. Lamb on one of those two teams, I think you'd be talking C.D. Lamb the same as you'd be talking Waddle and Smith. Somebody on our text line came up with a good one from the three one four. Trevon Diggs is somebody yeah. who has done this for himself. Absolutely, the the cornerback for the Dallas Cowboys. He has eleven interceptions so far this year. I don't know that he's going to win Defensive Player of the Year, but he's got a really strong argument for it. I mean, he he went from being a guy that was at the beginning of last year, not even a starter for the Dallas Cowboys to being 
one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL. I mean, does he get beat? Yes, absolutely. He gets burnt sometimes. He's the he's the new version of Marcus Peters. Marcus Peters was the guy who uh, would come up with five to ten interceptions every year and also would get burnt with five to ten really bad touchdowns every uh, year. It was so frustrating, too, when he's with the Rams. But he more than makes up for it with the interceptions that he's able to grab. I think Diggs is a little better in terms of just as a pure corner than what Marcus Peters was whenever he was playing for the Rams or the Chiefs. But Diggs so far this year has been that kind of playmaker defensively where he looks like a receiver at corner sometimes. Is Joe Burrow the only quarterback that's changed your mind? Because I don't know if there's another one that's changed my mind in the way that Joe Burrow has. I think you can make an argument for Dak Prescott just because there were so many questions coming coming into the year health-wise of what he was going to be, and he's been the same guy that he was pre-injury. So Dak would maybe be one of those, but I think he was a top-10 quarterback coming into the year. So I guess it just depends what your expectations were. Has Justin Herbert done that for you because I, I for me I think I would have him as a top five quarterback now I would have him as the fifth guy over uh Josh Allen but I think for a lot of people they would probably still have Allen over Herbert but yeah I, I think for I would, me I think he probably would be on that list I think I would have Allen over Herbert still and I would definitely have Burrow over Herbert still but really yeah I, I mean after what I've seen this I season would I would have Burrow and, over Herbert and maybe it's just a fault of the team he's on but the Chargers to me, and the Bengals are kind of this way too, have just been so inconsistent. And part of that, I think I put on Justin Herbert a little bit, just as I did on argue, Joe Burrow. I'd argue the Chargers have better weapons than what no, Joe Burrow has. No, Joe Burrow has the best weapons in the NFL. Really? With T. Higgins and Jamar Chase and Joe, Joe Mixon, Mixon. he has that, the best with weapons Eckler in the league. And um, Mike Williams and, and, and Keenan Allen. Keenan Allen was a Mike Evans. They're really good. Jamar Chase is one of the, I, I mean, you. If you wanted to make the argument that he's a top five receiver in the league right now, you can. But if you go T. one Higgins for is one, top fifteen receiver in the league. But right if you now. go one for one, Keenan Allen, Jamar Chase, Mixon, Eckler, it comes down to that second receiver, doesn't it? Yeah, and I, T. Higgins. I'll, I'll take T. Higgins over Mike Williams all day long. I, now I, left I, tackles. Now that's another. That's, that's a another very story. different story. I, I think when it comes down to it, though, for between those two, I still would give the edge to Joe Burrow because he's done this in basically one season because he played half the year last year and Herbert was trending in that direction, but took a step back this year. So the reason why I'm not all the way there with Joe Burrow is just because so much of what he's done this year production-wise has been against the Ravens. He's thrown for 940 yards this year against the Ravens in two games. Seven of his 30 touchdowns have come against the Ravens. Against everybody else, he's thrown for about 250 yards per game, 23 touchdowns, 14 interceptions. So two games have basically turned him into like a top five quarterback into the league. And I love Joe Burrow. He's been excellent. But I, I would still take in terms of the consistency, Justin Herbert over him. But uh, those are just a few of the guys that have really raised their game. One guy that we didn't mention, Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup went from like a fringe top 10 to 15 receiver in the league to if you want to say that he's the best guy in the league right now, it's really hard to argue it. I don't know that I would do it just because I've got a bias against him, but Cooper Cup, if you want to say he's the best in the league right now, I, I don't totally understand that argument. He's about to break just about every record that exists. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll dive into the junk drawer, put a bow on this thing coming up next. This is exactly where you want to be listening to us. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Alex 
Entrepreneurial. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up here in about five minutes or so, you will hear the pinstripe bowl right here on 101 ESPN. We'll we have Blues tech. versus Oilers coming up at seven seven o'clock. Pre-game cut co- seven thirty. Alex has your pre-game coverage beginning at six thirty. For Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Thank you guys so much for tuning in today. We'll be back tomorrow at ten right here on 101 ESPN.